Who still remembers Pampiro Furpo? Who booked the screw job in Montreal? Who has a good friend named Weasel Dooley? Everyone knows it's corny. Who managed Bobby Eaton and Condry? Who managed Stan Lane and Dr. Tom? Who's sick and tired of Kenny Olivier? Everyone knows it's corny. Who took a shoot, fought off of the scaffolding? Who bled a gusher in a white suit? Who said Ronnie Garvin went up like the challenger? Everyone knows it's corny. It's Jim Cornette's drive through He'll answer questions from you. And he won the pony too. Thank you, fuck you, bye. 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 Hello again, friends. And you are our friends. Unless you're animal friends and Jim doesn't like some of you. And welcome back to another edition of Jim Cornette's drive Through right here, wherever you find us on another day, whatever day that may be. I'm your host, the great Brian Last. We have reviews, questions, and questions, and questions. With this man, the star of the drive-thru, Mr. Jim Cornette. You know, I've just realized that I tapped out of doing this recording yesterday because I knew it would be horrible based on the severe pain that I was in, and now today I'm better and you're still the shits. What was that all about? Just meandering around and, and indicating that I would not embrace all of our animal friends Tarantulas are not animals. If you tuned into the experience over the weekend, you know what I'm talking about. Tarantulas because... <laughs> are, are are scum creatures of the the depths of the netherworld <laughs> and deserve to be cursed and driven from the planet and extinctified. Right. Are there any other animals that you've decided aren't animals? I don't know. I've got bigger problems over here <laughs> than classifying Zoology, zoological creatures as as we're we're doing this i'll take Brian, that as a, i'll take that as a yes but okay yeah well i have a i have a list of sooner or later when i get to it we will talk about animals that need to be extinctified <laughs> okay, but that's, i look forward to the conversation well because there's some that need to go their usefulness has been lived out or they're more trouble than they're worth but we'll get into that at a later date but I have discovered that I believe I am, I am the, the target, Brian, of an underground, super secret, one of those, what do they call them, those psyops or whatever. Uh, possibly, I'm going to go on record here and making the accusation. She can do with it what she will. Possibly, I'm the target of Raka Khan and revenge for whatever this, this the legal suit is not proceeding. I haven't been served. I don't know anybody that's been served. Perhaps the process servers are all out with COVID. But nevertheless, I believe that she has contacted some kind of underground agency. The KGB may be involved in this. And I'm the target of a plot. On my health, I'm being slowly poisoned. In some way, infiltrated. Would you like to hear why I believe this? I'm fascinated, yes. All right, well, Sunday, I wanted to get out and work in the yard. 
and I hadn't been able to do it. And we even got an email. I think you saw it here at the at the Arcadian Vanguard offices. It was addressed to, I believe, uh, said we haven't heard any of Corny's springtime stories, the yard work and the Monroe's and the the birds and the well, it, truthfully, it, it has been a slow season for stories in that realm because last summer the incredible heat wave with heat indexes in the hundred and teens, followed by a six-week drought, ran the deer family off. They said, fuck it, we're getting out of here. And we haven't really seen them come back this spring, except we saw one little cute little fluffy-tailed thing uh, bopping over into the woods the other day. So maybe hopefully now that they're they're coming back around. No birds tried to build a nest in the garage this spring, possibly because it's jammed to the brimisters with all kinds of Jim Cornette ac action figures and other Cornette's collectibles <laughs> merchandise. Jim Cornette accusations. That accusations. <laughs> I was, was going to say Akin figures, but that wouldn't be English. And and But anyway, I've, Sunday, I, I, this has been the first time I've had a chance to actually get out and do yard work myself. The Monroes have been over here, and we've got things cleaned up. And, of course, we cleaned up from all the storm damage. I've talked about Corky the Lumberjack. Our spring stories were the fucking hurricane winds. So there you got them. But nevertheless, I've been also, as you know or are well aware, over the past five weeks, six weeks now, if we're not watching the bad wrestling, we're on here recording our podcast where we talk about the good wrestling and the bad wrestling. I'm signing action figures and magazines and DVDs and all these various items we put on sale in April. I hadn't got a chance to get out and work in the yard. So the Monroes come over on Sunday afternoon, Sunday morning, actually. And I get out there, too. And I pulled some vines. And I trimmed some fence row. And I sprayed some weed killer and mulch beds. And they're operating all the power tools. You know, the things you got to have the good shoulder to jerk the fucking pull cord on. That's the Monroes business. And also, if anything's sharp, if it goes wrong, well... I, I'd hate to see them go, but things happen. But anyway, but I still, I was hauling stuff and pushing stuff and pushing the wheelbarrow around and doing various things. And by the end of Sunday night, as I laid my weary head down, I said, every part of my body hurts. And I also cleaned up much of the garage when I got out of the sun that in the afternoon and moved a bunch of stuff around there. So the neck is sore, shoulder sore, back sore, my feet are hurting. I lay down, I said, boy, this feels good to lay down, right? And I get up the next morning, and I'm going to run over to the store early and, and get some things before it gets busy. And as I get up, I'm a little sore and muscles and everything, and my big toe on my right foot, Boy, I stubbed that must yesterday in my work boots. They're a little stiff, whatever the case. And I go on go over to the store, pick up the heavy stuff. Stace can't carry with her bad back. Get that all in, move into the garage. I'm moving around okay. A little sore in the foot. And then Stacy has to go over to take one of our friends in Versailles over to the dentist. He's having a procedure, which he's not supposed to drive afterward they give you the good stuff there and they tell you well don't operate any motor vehicles and i said well i'm just got a big day of boxing the last 
bunch of orders, action signing and boxing last uh, action figures to give to the Feather Bottoms for the shipping this week. Boy, it's a landmark day. I'm feeling groovy. And I was feeling groovy about 11 or 12 o'clock. By about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I was feeling like gravy. It was a reoccurrence of my big toe gout. The affliction that first perpetrated itself on me when you and I just started doing the podcast at that point, or maybe a year in or whatever. What was it? Like seven years ago had to be. And I got to gout. I got gouted. You remember this. I don't know if I was your co-host yet when you got gouted. You had to be. Has it been that long ago? I don't know. You, you complain about so much. How am I supposed to remember one thing years ago? What do you mean complain about? I mean, I never complain about anything. I'm pretty goddamn copacetic with everything that goes on. I have no strong opinions. But I will explain to the people out there that don't know what gout is or have only seen it as a comedy prop in a silent movie. Gout is an excess of uric acid that builds up in a joint in your body, usually the big toe, but some people can have it, and I, I hear now from the doctors, in various other joints in their body. And it is the most incredibly painful thing for suddenly and absolutely no apparent visual reason that you've ever experienced in your life. And like I said, by late afternoon, just from this coming on, it the bone that your big toe connects to the foot, right? And the foot connects to the ankle. You know where it goes from there. I've heard the song. Yeah. Would you like me to sing it? Here it goes. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so that bone feels like that somebody has hit it with a hammer and it is the deepest bruised of, of a bone you could possibly imagine. Plus, the foot starts puffing up. It starts swelling up right around that area. Plus, once that you've got the sore part going on from the bone bruise, then the intermittent stabbing pain that cycles in and out every two or three minutes that feels like somebody is taking that afflicted area and squeezing it with a pair of pliers begins. And again, it's for no visual reason. It, it, I couldn't even have worked out in the yard this might have happened. It just came up last time for no reason. It happens like that, and the onset is quick. And this is some fucking, like I said, some KGB shit or some shit that they should be using on our side of the government, they'll tell the terrorist, hey, if you don't tell us what we want to know, we're going to give you gout. And they'll spill their fucking guts, right? Because it's ridiculous. So, And you can't touch this part of your body that now is a flaming mass of pain because as they describe it, the uric acid buildup causes crystals to form in your capillaries or your bloodstream or whatever. It's like shards of little glass re revolving around in there, which is why your foot's turning red. On the outside, it's inflamed. So, fuck. Well, now it's too late to call my regular doctor, and I can't go to the urgent care because Stacy's already in Versailles, and I can't drive because that's my driving foot. So I tell her, I said, fuck. 
I'll call you in the morning. Unless this gets better, I'm gobbling a bunch of Bayer back and body pills, right? Well, that didn't work. So the next morning, she gets up early. So she's coming back over here to take me. I get up and I call the the doctor right at 9 o'clock. And as a doctor, doctor, give me the news. Can you give me an appointment to give me the anti-gout, super-duper, anti-inflammatory shit they gave me last time? Well, they say, oh, we'll be glad to see you either in person or by televisit. Great! At 9 a.m. tomorrow morning. I said, it's 9 a.m. this morning. You expect me to sit here with these fucking gremlins, these invisible gremlins jackhammering on a goddamn bone in my foot for 24 more hours? Fuck you, no, thank you. I will take my business elsewhere. So I go to the urgent care. Sue Stace gets back. She runs me over here. And instantly, I mean, this is not a you know, a diagnosis for fucking house, right? Where they go, oh, we got to do a bunch of tests. He, I took my sock off and he said, yeah. He had prednisone, the steroid, and uh, naproxen, the anti-inflammatory. Now, again, it would have been wonderful if, uh, you know, if they could just say, hey, you know, my uh, doctor had just said, hey, we know what it is. We'll just call this into the pharmacy because I explained to them the same thing on the fucking phone, but no, I have to go all the way over here. Anyway, so the freaky part about this is I've been up all night practically with this fucking turning over and ah, for no reason and whatever the case. And it's just, it's I'm hobbling. I'm walking to walk. I was walking on the right side of my foot because like ice, air, nothing can touch that other part. And as soon as they give you this fucking medicine, within two hours, it starts feeling better. And that yesterday evening, it was significantly better. And now this morning, I can't bend the toe. It's still a little puffy. I ain't going to be mashing around on it, but I can actually walk, e stepping easily. And if this was an injury with that kind of pain and swelling... It would be three weeks because I've had those two. It'd be three weeks or more. It would still be sore, whatever. This shit goes away as quickly as it comes. That's why I have a feeling that I'm being targeted by some high science fiction tech level. Possibly it's, it's, it's radio waves through the air. It's causing this. Because when I'm going to these doctors, Brian... I'm getting conflicting information. I think they're part of it. So I'm, I'm going to sue the, the federal government, the KGB, all of the doctors that I've seen in the last year or so, and Raka Khan for doing it. Because here's the thing. You know what they said that causes this gout? I've got like a telephone book-sized yeah. package here. I had no idea you were an alcoholic. <clears throat> no, what? what? No, quit. Stop it. That's, wait a minute, this is the matter. What are the causes? Too much uric acid. It's either that your kidneys do not remove enough uric acid, your body makes too much uric acid, or you eat too many feuds. Foods <laughs> that are high. You've eaten a few feuds in your time. <laughs> you have eaten, yeah, but foods that are high in purines that turn into uric acid. And uh, there's... Uh, 
I actually, I don't have uh, many of the risk factors. I haven't had an organ transplant. I am haven't have not gone through menopause as of yet. I am male and middle aged. I've had no lead poisoning. I'm not uh, morbidly obese. I don't have psoriasis. But nevertheless, hold on. Let me, hey, let me flip by the. I'm curious ahead. though. You took the medication. This is the second time, and it kind of went away right away. I've actually known a few people who had gout. Now, as I alluded to earlier, these were men that enjoyed their drink, and they got gout. They had it for a while. They were seeing doctors. It didn't go away. Why is it going away so quickly for you? Well, because I've only got a, a, a bit of the monkey on my back. <laughs> See, I only got a, I only get a bit of the gout, but I don't want to get a lot of the gout because I used to get a little gout, but then a little didn't get it. So a little got more and more is not something I want to be saying here. See, that's why I said, give me the information on this shit. Right. Well, once every seven years I might can deal with and, you know, but I don't want it to get worse. So here's what you need to do to avoid future gout attacks. Eat a low purine diet. Avoid the following things. Liver. Kidney. Anchovies. Asparagus. Oh. Herring. So far, I'm thinking, this is a fucking breeze, right? What the, I have no problem following this fucking diet. I don't think I've ever eaten any of these things in my life. You don't like asparagus? Asparagus makes your piss smell foul and disgusting, even to your own self, and I refuse to allow it in my bloodstream. Why is that the reason, though? It's healthy. It wakes me you. up in the middle of the night. The pee wakes you up? Where are you peeing? Are you just peeing up in the air? No, I'm in the bathroom, but I've over the years, I've trained myself to be able to go and do a normal function like peeing without jarring myself from my somnambulism. But you get a whiff of that fucking putrid smell and it ruins your goddamn sleep cycle. Now, well, then I'm, glad it, I'm glad your normal pee doesn't wake you up. Well, no, because that's, you know, where you're going, you know what you're doing. That's just fucking reflex you can do you know you've heard the saying you can do that in your sleep there was that one time that well nevertheless but moving on with the list and then they come to mushrooms and i'm like all right i like mushrooms yeah but i can live without the mushrooms right if that's what it takes that's not a deal breaker and then muscles not the kind that you flex but the kind you snap open the the shell and get the muscles out. I don't eat muscles either. And then, and the last thing it says here is beer. Well, I don't drink beer. So I'm saying, well, this is, what the fuck? This is not even a big deal. And then it says, uh, you know, limit your alcohol, which I, again, barely drink any type of alcohol at all. Boom. So I'm thinking, okay, well, this, that was the general information. Now they get, what are tips for following the low purine eating plan? And then it starts to get a little bit more specific. Now, they say that you these do not need to be limited, these foods. Fruits, vegetables, pickles, olives, breads, pasta, rice, cornbread, popcorn, cake, and other baked goods, dairy foods, eggs, nuts, nut butters, spices and condiments, salts, herbs, vinegar, plant oils, butter, margarine, sugar-free soft drinks, 
Uh, all of this stuff, uh, vegetable-based broth, sauces, and gravies. Now, here's the problem where we're starting to get into here, as you'll see in a second. Sounds good. Remember about a month or a month and a half, maybe two months ago, when I went and had my colon cleaned out and inspected, put up on the rack, probed around. They took pictures. We had a real estate guy in do a appraisal. They told me at the time, remember, I, I, I detailed here, and you can find it on YouTube, folks, if you'd like to hear about the examination of Jim Cornette's asshole from a first-person perspective. It's on the official Jim Cornette YouTube channel. But I spent two days not eating any solid food and drinking this foul-tasting disreputable liquid concoction filled with who and God knows what that they told me to mix it was in this shit they told me to mix up and shit like a drunken goose and then they put me to sleep <laughs> with the propofol drunken and, goose <laughs> and they probed around with whatever they took pictures while they were in there I know they showed them to me they offered me wallet size but I declined and they, their evaluation after that was, you need more fiber. Or, or was, it was fiber. They, you need more fiber. Farber is your guy over at CNBC. You need more fiber. I said, you fucking think for two days I haven't had a bite to eat? I've been drinking fucking 10W40 motor oil. I ain't enough friction in there to light a fucking match. So they said, eat more fiber. And they told me to avoid a lot of the things that I just read off to you, such as especially the stuff with the fat and the sugar and the baked goods and the breads and the pop and the poor cornbread and a lot of dairy. And, oh, no, you need to limit that. Well, they're saying now, for the sake of my fucking toe, I should eat all that. And then it says, now, this is... This is stuff that's moderate in what causes gout and should be limited to amounts listed. And again, they got, well, you should only have a half cup of asparagus, cauliflower, spinach, mushrooms, or green peas each day. Well, except for the mushrooms, that, that wouldn't be hard again. And you can have two-thirds of a cup of uncooked oatmeal. I don't know why you would do that. Or one-quarter cup dry wheat bran or wheat germ each day. I've never eaten anything with germ in its actual name. That's what Austin Idol does. Austin Idol had me try it even. He gets like a bunch of wheat bran and just <sighs> pours it in water and just quickly like mixes it all around then just tries to gulp it down. <laughs> he does it. He says he's been doing it for years, but years ago I tried it and it was it was uh, an acquired taste. We'll yeah. say that. But then here, listen to this. Two to three ounces of meat or poultry each day. Two to three ounces each day of meat or poultry. That's, that's two chicken nuggets or a goddamn White Castle slider, is it not? Is, that, is this for a normal adult human being? Remember, what was it, four years ago, at time I did that Death March to New York for three days of MLW taping in a row. Court Bauer tried to murder me. I got two hours of sleep each night. I, I counted up at the end of the seven days on the road there and back. Not only did I lose my voice for two weeks, but I had consumed 
in seven days, nine pounds of fried hamburger meat, much of it coming from a microwave oven in a hotel room after it had been put in the mini-fridge after a trip two days beforehand to McDonald's to stock up. But I digress. So you can have four to six ounces of shellfish such as crab, lobster, oysters, or shrimp each day. Well, four to six ounces is a little better, but remember when I, I needed more fiber and they gave me the, the thing to concentrate on my diet? Limit red meat. And I told, I told you on the show here I was going to try to limit red meat for the first time in my life. And I've been limiting the red meat. And they say, eat more seafood. You know what kind of seafood I like, Brian? My favorite? I like all seafood almost. I'm not going to eat any no muscles. raw, no mussels, no raw oysters. Uh, but um, although I do like most all seafood, my two favorite things are cod and scallops. And I've eat, been eating tons of cod and scallops. Guess what it says is in the not recommended there you foods? Go. Cod and scallops. So, and then, again, you can also have a cup of cooked beans, peas, or lentils each day. But the, the, the point is, the people, the ass people, the colon people that went in the other direction, they told me one thing. And now these gout people, they're telling, and they said, don't eat bacon. How can you live and not eat bacon? And I'm also not supposed to eat wild game or goose. I think that probably won't be a, a problem. This is all just so you don't get this once every seven years. Well, I don't, well, see, I don't want it to get worse. So I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to control this now because some people, as you said, do have it worse. So are you going to cut down on cod and, uh, well, I guess I got to, I got to cut the cod. So what are you going to increase? And lop the scallops. What are you going to eat more of if you're cutting back on those? Nobody has mentioned catfish yet. So I th I'm going to be safe. I'm going with the catfish from now on. All God right. damn it. Anyway, so I'm feeling better today. But this is, I think it's a plot. And I think you could actually make that some kind of interrogation technique in the military. We will inject you with this fucking uric acid in your big toe. And in 12 hours, you'll, we can give you this fucking pill that cost, with my insurance, $4. I would have given a motherfucker $5,000 if he'd come over here at 11 o'clock fucking Monday night. What was it? Yes, Monday night with this fucking anti-inflammatory. And it cost $4 with a prescription. And it, within hours, it'll be good. That's what they'll tell them. Well, you're going to have this gout. Until you tell us what we want to know, and then you can have the naproxen. Everything will be fine. And But anyway, I'll have you know I powered through, by the way, the last 50-something uh, boxes of action figures with personalized signatures requested by the Cult of Cornet audience out there. And as of the... Now, we are speaking now, before this program is even disseminated on the airwaves and the highways and byways of america every single package or box or 
vault full of merchandise ordered by the customers through Sunday, May 21st is going to be in the hands of the Feather Bottoms, and they are processing over Memorial Day weekend, and everything will be hitting the mail stream. So basically, I'm all caught up within three days ago. I've signed everything. Everything is packed. They're taking over from here, and boom, off it goes, and we are caught up for the first time in six weeks, which makes an excellent opportunity for everybody out there to order more Cornets collectibles at jimcornet.com. And we still have, I, I don't know the numbers now. I've been, pain makes all details leave your mind. But we still have a couple of hundred of the breast cancer pink action figures with $10 from each figure going to fight breast cancer. And we're on our last couple of hundred of the Inside the Ropes magazine. So get those because those will not be restocked. And uh, DVDs, T-shirts, and other things are moving appropriately. Brian, what's new with you? Uh, not too much. Getting ready for the big holiday weekend and festivities here at the Manor and ready for a big fun drive through How's your big toe? So far, so good. Eating a lot of scallops? Haven't had scallops in quite a while. It's not since uh, hibachi, I don't think. God damn it. You know, and over here at the store, at the store, we call it, or as my Mama Cornette used to say, over at the grocery store, they had a sale these big old sea scallops, a pound for $9 a pound. And they were individually bagged and et cetera. And I got, I think, 10 or 12 bags because I love those little bastards. And I think that may have, but I've been eating them not like every day, but I've been, it's a been a pretty frequent thing. So maybe that's, so I might be having a yard sale. I got about four or five bags left. Stay away from the scallops. All right. Well, now that we're You know what else? Mood. I'll tell you, oh, here's, here's another thing. Well, this will put you back in a better mood. Um, we dissected the Jungle Boy and Rush match from AEW Dynamite. Yeah, the other day on the program, and that's gotten a lot of attention. But a lot of people—I mean, even the normal apologists and sycophants and people who don't want to offend anybody—are talking about it in much the same way as we did. It's pretty fucking. As some people were saying, "Well, they punished Jungle Boy for being a dick over at the convention of the fans." Well, no, then if he'd have done that, which you know, now that I think about it, Tony Khan might do that. A promoter would not punish himself to punish one of the talents. He would have fucking put Jungle Boy over like a million dollars before the pay-per-view and then beat him like a fucking government mule either at or right after the pay-per-view. But maybe Tony missed that bit of subtlety. But the point is, in addition to all the other things that we called in our description of that debacle and that rush is unprofessional and should be fired because what a prick he is i actually didn't notice another thing that he did that offended a i'm sure a good part of the audience but stacy picked up on it because she didn't watch that show either but when she heard our review because she does listen to our program um she just doesn't watch the rest of the shit but when she heard the review, she had to watch that match, right? She goes back and watches it, and she said, come here, look at this. And it was when 
it, Rush was on the floor after he had just beaten the piss out of Jungle Boy. And also, this wasn't the TV version. This was like they didn't have the picture-in-picture. Picture. They had all the action instead of the commercial break, right? But this apparently was on all the television, this part of it. He fucking, he's standing out there on the floor, Jungle Boy selling and bleeding. And Rush looks at the camera and calls him a puta. And apparently, in Spanish, a puta is a pussy. Or was that the word puta or pota or puto or whatever the fuck? I don't know, but Stacia said, look, he just called him a pussy in Spanish right on television. So how many of the uh, of the current American or United States television watching population is Spanish or Hispanic or speaks Spanish, I wonder? So he he not only basically destroyed Jungle Boy and emasculated him and pissed in his mouth while he was down there and beat him bloody and, and et cetera, but he also managed to cuss on television at the same time. Well, I think they made up for it, though, with what happened on Twitter afterwards. What happened on Twitter afterwards? Jungle Boy tweeted out, Respect! Rush is a beast! We'll do it again one day. <laughs> to which Rush retweeted that with, Any opponent or wrestler that has the balls to stand up after the beating of their life has my respect. You have the willpower to win the heavyweight title. And when you do, we will meet again. And I will take that title from you at a big event. At a big event. At a big event to be named later. <laughs> For a lot of money. <laughs> so, so Jungle Boy, after this guy just basically bitch slapped him in front of his entire family and his whole fan base and the general population of the United States and many foreign countries that might give a shit, just fucking made him look like a complete dipshit. Somehow, this he thinks it's a good idea to wait. Well, much respect. He's a beast. And then Rush can't even be, yeah, you know, you were great. You almost had me or whatever. He's like, yes, I gave you the beating of your life, but you stood back up. And so one day you will beat everyone else and win the world title, and then I will beat you again. At a big event. At a big event. In a theater near you. In an outdoor stadium or arena. Ah. <sighs> ah. <sighs> Indoors or outdoors. Whether the chairs or not, the fans can stay or leave. It will it will all happen. And I will beat you, and then you will stand up again and kiss me and show me respect and fondle my genitals like I did to you on national TV for no apparent purpose. Do you think Tony should make Rusha EVP? No, I think he should jump straight to president. <laughs> President, because if you want to talk about a fucking guy that's capable of starting some fucking bullshit in the locker room, I think this guy, he's not just a contender. He may be the the man. If if you're if you're rating your EVPs and or the order of importance of your roster members by how much shit they can start and potentially finish in the locker room, I think Rush will definitely start a bunch of shit and he looks like he can finish it over most of them too. So I think he'll be laying waste to these fucking little bitches for years to come. See, that's the thing, too. Straight to president. Jungle Boy goes back to the locker room. You know where he's going. You know who he's talking to. Who amongst that crew is going to stand up to Roosh? <laughs> and then, when they, again, they can't, they can't get in any more trouble. 
Because then how would it look if well, they get in another fucking skirmish? Punk isn't... I'm, I'm not even there. I'm with AJ. The entire elite got beat up by Roosh. They're saying it's his fault. Yes, it's Punk's fault. Punk put out a hit. But no, if they get in a fight with anybody else and it makes them look like fucking Ned and the first reader, and it, it, by the same token, you're right. They can't win the physical fight. They can't get in a physical fight without looking like idiots. And they know that Tony is so wishy-washy that he'll just fucking, if anything bad happens to them, he'll delay the adjudication of that also. So it's just, it, people, it's going to be based on who can whip who and who's scared to fight who. This will be interesting. Well, that was the AEW report for this drive through And <laughs> before we go forward and get to questions and everything else, an interesting episode of Raw. Between all the non-interesting stuff, there was some interesting stuff, Jim. <laughs> what did you think of Raw this week? Well, it was actually very interesting during the brief moments that it wasn't uninteresting. Um, and now we see that potentially the story will not end between Cody Rhodes and Brock Lesnar at Night of Champions. Because I, we'll, we'll run down the whole card a little bit later on. I don't want to jump ahead here with my predictions or what's going to be happening, but I will illustrate what did happen between Cody Rhodes and Brock Lesnar on the Cody Rhodes and Brock Lesnar program. And they, then they had like two hours and 45 minutes of filler in between the stuff with Cody and Brock. Uh, within well, the opening shot of Raw, and this was May 22nd, 31st anniversary of the first volunteer slam in Knoxville, Tennessee, to crown the first Smoky Mountain champion, by the way. Primetime Brian Lee. There you go. Over Paul Orndorff, I think. By, but by disqualification, because I wasn't completely insane. <laughs> <clears throat> and we brought it back. But anyway, um, the opening shot was Cody in a, his suit, Entering the arena, smiling, wheeling his bag, and within 10 seconds, Brock Lesnar just gloms him and beats the fuck out of him for one minute, bashing him off every wall and door and equipment case. And, and it looked great. I'm not saying there was anything fake about it in terms of the physicality involved. Here's the thing, my God. <laughs> Brock's going to, if this was in any way legitimate, can't they figure out some way besides doing the same thing they've already done? And they are changing on this program. We're going to find out. I think they may be listening because there wasn't a lot of, and they go two minutes to break. They reformatted their show. There were a couple of matches, didn't have any commercial break at all. They're doing some things different. But my God, the buildings have security cameras. The guard shacks that you have to pass through have the same thing. A camera can be set up to do a backstage interview and the tape is rolling when you can't. There's all kinds of things they can do, but there is a visual television camera 10 feet in front of Cody Rhodes and Brock picks that time to attack him and beat him up for one minute straight with no yelling. From anyone, he was just waving to people. No yelling, no, come here, come here. People are fighting. No, nothing. There's, it just, you see what I'm saying, Brian? 
I do. And I had a similar thought later in the show with Cody. I'll say it now. It actually hit me during the Apollo Crews promo. I was like, you know, Apollo Crews in good shape, pretty good in the ring. They never use him right. And then I was just, whatever it was, it made me think of Dusty. And even Hogan. I mean, with Hogan, it was Vince doing it. With Dusty, it was Dusty, you know, doing it. But the baby faces had friends. Yes. You know, like, it wasn't crazy, like, something bad would happen and Hulk Hogan got attacked. And, like, you see Coco Beware or someone, like, <laughs> trying to help him. He's not in that league, but he's in that locker room. And with Cody, it hit me with Apollo Crews. I was like, you know what? It would be nice if, like, with something happened with Cody, someone like this ran out there to help. Not just help, but, like, you know, there was a difference. Everyone didn't just run out to help. It was someone ran out to help. Other people were running to, like, cover the guy up. And, you know, someone put their arms up, like, no, stay away. There was, a yes. whole, there was a whole thing that would happen that doesn't happen anymore. Some level of panic among people that, from friends of the victim or just bystanders that work there and are trying to intervene in a goddamn situation. I know people go, well, it's Brock Lesnar. Oh, goddamn. You, okay, you could yell, stop, stop, my God, somebody called 911. Man, if Dusty, if anything happened to Dusty, like all those guys, Manny Fernandez, Magnum, whoever it was at that moment, they're like crying. They're like, they don't know how to deal with their life going forward because Dusty's been hurt. Remember There's never the, any of that the, with Cody. The panic when Jimmy Garvin is telling Precious, get the keys, get the keys. And they're putting Ronnie and his face has been set on fire and they're putting him in the backseat of their legitimate fucking little piece of shit fucking mid-sized car because Garvin's were careful with a dollar and, and taking him to the hospital. Actually, they took off out of the parking lot, went around the building. But nevertheless, there was <laughs> there was panic. It was like you go back, you you go back, whatever. But anyway, but you know, so, but you don't. You know, that's the thing that Cody like needs. I think it would help if it would help everyone else on the roster too if it was a little more clear cut like that, and a little some people get the rub. But there's never any of like something bad happens, and someone's friends run out there to help. The Garvin thing you bring up is a great example too. Jimmy Garvin, the heel, running out there to help his brother meant something. Jimmy Garvin, the heel, going through all the baby faces that were out there to help Ronnie Garvin already, left an impact. Well, and then, then there was a subtle little thing also, if you want to examine that a little bit further before we get back to eh, this, is that when they took Ronnie back through the people to his locker room, that was the locker room that the good guys came out of. There were two distinct entrances, one for the baby faces, one for the heels, or as the fans would say, the good guys and the bad guys. They took Ronnie, as all the other baby faces were carrying him, but Jimmy was with him. They took him to the baby face locker room where you saw everybody there was in their locker room and they set Ronnie down on the floor. And then Jimmy, who's fully dressed already, in his street clothes, freaks out in front of the camera, turns around and runs and goes through a side door and goes through this dark area, which was the place they pulled big vehicles up in the Charlotte Coliseum, and then busts into another door. And there in that locker room are all the heels, the Midnight Express and fucking Tully and the fuck and Arn and J.J. Dillon. It's where and he it, would be. It's his locker room. It reinforced also the thought in everybody's mind, 
It is what we've heard true. Are they all in the same locker room? No, they're obviously in different ones in other sides of the building. And here's this one group of people that are all obviously aligned with each other or friendly. And this, there's this other group of people and there. And because Jimmy knew exactly where to go, because that's the one he had left. He's a heel, but now he knows exactly where to go to get even with these fucking people. And it showed it to the fans without that being the reason. We're going to show you these are two locker rooms, two separate locker rooms. And again, to go back to the example and applying it to Cody, actually to go back to the angle, you burn Ronnie Garvin, he doesn't just lay there for minutes alone in pain. Right away, <laughs> no. other people are panicking. How are we going to help this guy? We, we've never dealt with a burnt face. You know, how do you deal with this? Here, put a towel over his face. I mean, I don't know why that's the solution to everything, but everyone in there is doing something. Baby faces are coming out to help. There's never like, I don't know. There needs to be more of that, I think. Well, then should we go? Let's skip ahead. We'll go back to the chronological viewpoint of Raw in a second. Let's skip ahead to the 9 o'clock hour, which is the next time that we get some update, I believe, in my notes, uh, or get some uh, advancement of this whole thing with Brock and Cody. 9 o'clock hour comes up, and Muhammad Ali is at a backstage promo where he's rambling. Oh, this was great. This about was great. all of his failures and he's failed so many times, but he's still, I don't know what the fuck. It this was. was so great. Cause I want to give this guy a chance. We always see him and he's yeah. doing the promo. He's about to have this big match with Gunther in Saudi Arabia. This is his chance to do the serious promo. So I figured they're going to give him the serious promo. And he's like, you know, you guys have all seen me. I'm paraphrasing. You've all seen me as a joke, and I know I can do better. And all of a sudden, Brock Lesnar just walks in and treats him like a fucking joke. Yeah. That was hysterical. <laughs> I feel bad for the guy, but that was great. Well, now, just describe the scene for those of you lucky <laughs> enough to have missed this. <laughs> the camera is at the backstage interview position, and this guy, again, he's talking about everybody's seen me as a joke, but now it's my big chance, and I've... And he starts talking about how all, after all of his failures, he finally gets somebody to take him seriously or a moment of redemption or whatever. And suddenly this big blurry blob comes in between the camera and him. And it's Brock that's just walked right in front of him, right in front of the shot, stops and says, hey, kid, get a life. And then just walks <laughs> through the curtain. And that's the end of his promo. <laughs> and Brock is coming out. And... It, there was one thing also, as he comes through the curtain and the people seem, there was no music yet. And I thought, this is great because there Brock has, has busted an interview and is now coming out for an unscheduled interview with no music. But then the music started when he was like, he'd been out there for five seconds. I don't know. Well, he waited for it. You could tell he was waiting for it yeah, to hit. I, I think it was it was a mistake, and I wanted it to be an unplanned, impromptu, I'm taking over the show, and it'd be most believable for Brock to do that. Instead, it became, oh, we, for <laughs> we forgot <laughs> he was shitting on Muhammad Ali, and we forgot to hit the button. But anyway, Brock's in the ring at 9 o'clock for a promo, and he said, what do you want to talk about? He didn't even beat up Ali. Like, he, said, he just insulted yeah, he him and just walked off. Him. We've seen him beat up just random people and yeah. throw them on the furniture and shit. He just insulted him and walked off. Well, he had to go. He had to talk. <laughs> and, and like I say, he did Cody's line, what do you want to talk about? But his story here, 
And it, it, Brock is better when he's fired up and slobbering with like with the gig head and and the fucking black eye when he was choking Cody and screaming, "Okay, all that shit." But he got the point across here in that Cody's not going to be out tonight or at Night of Champions either, and I'm issuing an open challenge to anybody to fight me on Saturday. Just step out and step up, whatever the case. And here comes Dusty. I'm, I mean, Cody. Cody, Jesus. Well. Nice try. <laughs> I mean, here comes Cody with a sling, with an ice pack on his shoulder. He's got his arm in a sling. And there's Adam Pierce, the authority figure, saying, please no. And the referees are going, no, no. And Cody will not be stopped. And he's going to the ring. And he gets in the ring. And you can see, the reason I said Dusty is because you can see John Wayne in a movie, right? And I can hear Dusty laying this out to the heel and the and that he would be working with, right? If I'm back in the fucking Spartanburg Memorial fucking auditorium locker room in 1986 and we're doing a TV angle. And Dusty would be saying the heel, whoever he is, right? Is it fucking... Flair hit him with a baseball bat or whatever. And Flair, you're crowing. Is that I defend the title against you, Magnum? I defend the title against the road. Anybody. But then out I come. And I got the sling on, baby. And I got the sling on an ice pack. And Tommy Young, you're hanging on my back. And Earl Hebner, you're hanging on my back. And I'm saying, I'm coming for you, nature boy. And they're dragging me down the aisle. And just as soon as I get in the ring, think about it this way. John Wayne in some fucking movie. I don't know all the John Wayne movies, but Dusty would have fucking illustrated the one of the 475 movies that John Wayne shot in his career in Hollywood where he had his arm in a sling and was one arm down in a gunfight against a guy with two six-shooters, and John Wayne would step out there at high noon and he'd pull that sling off, baby. And he'd say, I may not have two good on, but I still got two of them, so give me your best shot. That's This is a dusty angle. Cody gets in the ring, and he takes off the sling, and he takes off the ice bag, and no matter what happens, he's gonna fucking fight with one arm. And then Brock charges him and takes him down, he gets a double wrist lock and breaks his arm. <laughs> And it and not only did he double wrist lock it, and he held it a while, and then gave it the little jerk that indicated that that would have been the snap of the forearm. Even though, I mean, obviously they could not work Cody's forearm flopping around like a wacky waving arm inflatable tube man. And you know, unfortunately, we've seen enough cell phone videos now to know that sometimes that happens. But then he he let it go and got up and stomped Cody's forearm and left. So for purposes and not to spoil what's going to go on or be said later in the program, but it appears that Cody's forearm, the rumors are going to start in the locker room here real soon that it was broken. And at that point, I said, okay, a broken arm is Cody's out to lose at night of champions and make it one and one. 
in which case this program is not over on Saturday. Your thoughts? I didn't think there was any way it was going to end Saturday just because I don't think it's going to end at Saudi Arabia. It was really good. I was into it. This, I mean, you said you could, you, I mean, you said you acted it out, the whole Dusty Rhodes comparison. <laughs> yeah. This was the most Dusty-like night of Cody's run so far. Yeah. The entire show. And again, no one who's his friend comes out there to help him. That's one of my big complaints about any of this stuff, but really, really good. And, you know, after he got beat up in the back, you're left thinking, how the hell is he going to have this match at Saudi Arabia? Now everyone's like, I'm not a doctor, but his arm's broken. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess, like you said, that's the out. And then you get to the third match at whatever the next pay-per-view is. And the question is, do you make it a stipulation match or do you just do a match? What do you do? Um, well, hold on before we get there. Okay. Because okay. we still got to get to the end of the show. Because now later on, Adam Pierce is on the phone. And Cody, uh, the news is being reported that Cody won't let the doctors look at his mangled arm, was the quote. And he doesn't want any help, which then they go later on to his locker room. And Cody's screaming, I don't need it. This was at the end of the show. I don't need any help. And in walks Triple H. And he sits down. And they have the serious talk. And at least again, you know that when when Pierce was on the phone, obviously he was on the phone with Adam Pierce, and you know that, or with obviously he's on the phone with Triple H, and you know that, honestly, Cody had to, if Triple H didn't volunteer, if it wasn't written that way, Cody would have insisted, and everybody knows I love Adam Pierce. He's a good friend of mine. Loved working with him. But since Adam is out there adjudicating the minor mishaps and things amongst the, you know, the girls and the shoosh boy and alpha academies of the world and is, uh, you know, basically called upon to do all the contract signing and everything. This needs to be big. This needed a step up in terms of not just star power, but importance in the company. You know, this is now over and above the normal boundaries of regular angles that we do to give it more importance, right? So Triple H had to come in and be the one to talk to Cody and say, you know, I need you to get medical attention. I can tell that your arm is broken and you can too. And you're afraid if the doctor looks at you, you won't be cleared to wrestle at Night of Champions. And he gives him the pitch, but then in, in a very professional way, but Cody ends up hitting him with, what would you do? And he says, I'm going to fight Brock Lesnar at Night of Champions. And here's the thing. Since it is the forearm, that's entirely doable. Because I know somebody's going, well, how could he have a whole match with one arm against Brock Lesnar or whatever? But you can... You can work the match around a broken forearm. You can't work a match with a broken leg, although I saw Lawler do it twice uh, and in a cast. But you can't work a match with a broken leg, and you can't work a match if your upper arm was broken. But you, it actually has been done with legitimate broken forearms before with a cast from guys who in the territories couldn't afford to take off or the territory couldn't afford them to. So... They'll be able to get around this, but this, I believe, now will be Cody's out, obviously. What did you think of the interplay between Cody and Triple H? The act, I, I mean, 
This yep. was the most emoting and acting Cody's had a chance to do. This was almost Bloodline-esque in terms of how dramatic it was. And again, what do you think of their performance here? I think they they have they they have obviously both of them the star power, and you've got Triple H was a, a top guy in the previous era. Cody is now, but since everybody mostly watching these days is also smart to the behind the scenes, they know that Triple H is the again the heir apparent. We'll see what happens, and is high up in the food chain there, and they know also that Cody has been the rebel and helped start the opposition. So there's, there's on camera tension, maybe of the, you know, the, the, uh, the kind that they used to have when the top guys were really at odds with each other, but they still can work together professionally. So I think it's, it's good to see triple H and Cody on camera in the same place, occupying the same space and interacting with each other. I like that. Yeah, to me, the facial expressions were really the story when Cody was looking down and Triple H almost with admiration is looking at him. A little yeah. smirk gives him the pat on the knee, but the show goes off the air with, I think you could only say a scared Cody. Yeah, because but that's the thing. Dusty would show fear also because it, he's a realist and he knows what lays ahead of him, but he's still got to do it anyway. You know what Dusty did better than anyone else? Just scream. Like he could just yeah. scream. You know, sometimes he didn't know yeah. what he was saying. Sometimes it was the name of the person who beat him up and bloodied him up. Yeah. But no one just like, Tommy! No one screams anymore. Uh, or And even with a lisp, you still got it. But anyway, so that was the the Cody and Brock extrapolation of the events that happened. and. Then everything else was was there for the most part. There was a couple of points, but um, to run through them briefly and comment where needed, uh, as soon as Cody got the shit kicked out of him at the start of the show, Paul Heyman was in the ring for a live interview, denied any involvement in the attack. There's something there. because I mean, again, they're still teasing stuff with him and Brock. That never goes away, even though they yeah. have issues. They still tease there's something there. But for the record, I'd like to not deny any involvement in that. Remember, they even asked him that after Brock turned on Cody. Did you yeah. know he was going to be here? So there's still something they're teasing for the future. Well, and they always can because Paul and Brock are linked like, you know, a fucking guy and his conjoined twin, conjoined twin fetus hanging out of his head, right? <laughs> anyway, um... They are in Hershey, Pennsylvania. If that's the same arena, and I bet it was, it's a shithole. The Hershey pocket, Davy Boy Smith, he's, when we do local promos, he would see that and he would practically spit on the floor. Oh, it's the fucking Hershey Park Arena. Fucking Hershey Park. Hershey, Pennsylvania was legitimately named after Hershey Chocolate, which Hershey started there and he built. A lot of the town a hundred or more years ago uh, with his workers and his factory because they started it where they could get the goddamn supply of milk. And so then it, it became a town and a city and they've got an amusement park there that's that's chocolate themed, the Hershey Hershey Park. 
And the Hershey Park Arena was the arena at fucking Hershey Park. And I mean, the locker rooms are, if this is the same place, now it's been 25 years since I've been there or whatever, but they've got like a five-star hotel, the Hershey Inn or something like that, that they put us up at. And I mean, antiques in the room is great, incredible. They've got a high dollar operation in some respects, but this building was just old and run down and whatever the fuck. So I always loved the way it looked on TV though. That's the building where Ric Flair got the title back from Randy Savage. Well, yeah. And it's, it's like a seven or 8,000 seat building. And it's one of the old style arenas where all you can see is people. So it does look good on television, but uncomfortable as fuck to work. But anyway, Paul insulted the people of Hershey and there was a nice lazy booking sign uh, behind Paul's back. Uh, thank whatever member of the cult brought that. Oh, we heard from the fan who brought that. Did we? What did he have to say? I thought I sent that to you. They confiscated well, the sign. Well, I haven't. I what? Yeah, they they took the sign. They told him he's not allowed to have that one. And then I think he had another one <laughs> that was an Owen Hart sign. They said he can keep that, but he wasn't allowed to hold it up. I'll see if I can find the email. We have the email. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Well, then why couldn't he keep the other one if he wasn't allowed to hold that up either? He's on the honor system for one, but not the other. Well, Martha Hart and WWE have a very contentious relationship, but they're more afraid of whatever the Rock of Khan kidnapping Jim Cornette could do. Ah, there you go. Because it, it, Disney cut ties with The Rock because of Rock of Khan. People We've keep sending heard. that to us. That's not We've a real story, everyone. Ah, <laughs> uh, but... Anyway, nevertheless, I haven't looked at the emails you've sent me because I've been trying to have time to look at my own emails. So I didn't know about this. But, well, God damn it. Well, I'll email Mr. Lazy Booking sign back and send him a free picture or something for his trouble, for them taking his sign away that he took time out of his busy schedule to make. Uh, oh, so back to this interview where Paul talked and promised the new tag team champions would be Solo and Roman. And he's a welcome to Monday Night Raw, everybody. Why do they have to say that? Why does it? It's, it's a goddamn sports broadcast. And they're already 10 minutes into the fucking show. You don't have to say it every night. It's not like, welcome to the Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson. Fuck you. But nevertheless, when he does that, well, what here's Foley. Why do you have to welcome people to the show? Why do you have to welcome people? They're already there. <laughs> I'm going to help All break right. any new ones in and just clogs that. And why does Paul welcome anybody to anywhere? Paul doesn't welcome anybody into any part of his life. I found the email. Just uh, if you want me to go through this. Well, real yes. Quick. Yes, I do. You have it and you have his information there. So you can respond accordingly. I attended Monday night raw last night in my hometown of Hershey, Pennsylvania. I wanted to show you guys the signs I made last night that made their way onto TV during Heyman's opening segment. The first commercial break after the segment, Two staff members came up to me, took my poster board sign of you away. They said I could keep the Owen Hart one, but if they see me raise it, it will be taken as well. I was just showing my support for my favorite wrestler on his death anniversary. Wow. Just wanted to let you know I was supporting the cult in full force last night. Also in my Cornette face t-shirt. Talk about the employees being stuck on the Hershey Highway. <laughs> and this is from, I don't want to give his last name, so I don't know if he wants it out there, but Nathan, we got your email, and uh, Jim has your email too. Well, I'm surprised they didn't make him strip naked also, or at least half naked. Hopefully he didn't have the Jim Cornette 
Tidy Whitey's trademark on as well, or he'd have been buck naked running around there. Does it make you feel good at least that like Kevin Dunn at some point, someone get the cornet sign. Yeah. Yeah. Just anytime something can make his day just a little more miserable. And I don't know anybody that has more miserable days than Kevin Dunn, the, the miserable millionaire, Kevin Dunn. He makes more money in a fucking year through their various stock scams than I or most people in the world make in a fucking lifetime, and he's still a miserable fucking buck-toothed human being. So this Heyman promo. Oh, yeah, well, it was done. Because he said, welcome to Monday Night Raw, and then music hit, and Owens and Zane did their separate entrance deal where it's a bit of Kevin's music, and he gets to come out and stand there to moderate smatterings of applause and then they play sammy's music and the people pop and he comes out and they keep that music up for the rest of the way to the ring because he's more popular which will if they keep doing the separate entrances that means the long-term plan is owens turning on zane otherwise it's distracting for a babyface tag team especially but anyway they get they go to the ring and paul is gone and they even have to reference it. Wow, did you ever see anybody get out of somewhere as quick as Paul Heyman? Because they just went from interview to interview. And now they're just starting a new promo from scratch. And they give the opposite side of the tag team title match and say that they uh, dedicate the win that they're about to have to the true pillars of the bloodline, the Usos, because Roman dedicated it to the wild Samoans so they're trying to instigate and then they mention tonight we've got a six-man tag against Imperium and then Imperium's music plays and I'm like, Jesus Christ and here we go with another fucking apparently compartment to this interview or a component I should say to this interview but Gunther and his stooges just come out and circle the ring they don't talk and as they're going to attack three on two, Riddle runs out through the middle of them and slides the ring and evens the odds up. And everybody stands there for a minute. Well, then the heels decide they're going to walk out. But then they turn around back and rush the ring and jump in the ring. And again, the perfect way to make people want to stay to the end of the show to see this six-man tag team main event the baby faces dumped Gunther Stooges in like five seconds, completely out of the ring. And then Owens and Zane went to double clothesline Gunther backwards over the top rope out of the ring. But as they hit him with the double clothesline, I believe from slow motion analysis that Gunther was set to take the fucking backwards over the top, but his left leg got tangled in Sami Zayn's left leg and stopped his momentum from going over backwards and he got hung on the rope, so Owens dumped him over like a sack of fucking laundry. So now they're advertising a six-man tag that we got to wait another two hours and 40 minutes to fucking see and the baby faces have just beaten the heels up in 15 seconds. So who gives a shit? As, as Larry Latham, or AKA Spot the Moon Dog, would have said, 
Where's the heat? It's very similar to what they did with the bloodline, the Cody Brock stuff. The show began and ended with the only thing that I shouldn't say that, but the thing that was the only thing that really mattered on the show, although there was something else that was pretty good on the show. But wouldn't you at least, okay, and again, Gunther Stooges are just that. You got three main event baby faces, Owens, Zane, and Dickhead Riddle. Dickhead Riddle, yes. Dickhead Riddle. Actually, his full name is Richard Head Riddle, but his friends call him Dick. Trademark. Trademark. But you've got one main event heel and his two stooges, and Kaiser and Wilhelm, or whatever they're, Marcel and Marceau, whatever their fucking names are, they're presented as the flunkies that people just dispatch and they pull legs and interfere, but you can't take them seriously. And if they then if they come out and don't beat anybody up, even with Gunther, then what's it's a fucking six man tag and nobody and they only got four men. Anyway, since we're on that, would you like to go to the six man? We'll just jump around. Yeah, why not? This is kind jump of a around. jump around episode. Jump around. Crisscross. Uh, 1992. And, uh, we had to wait. <laughs> we had to wait until 10:40 p.m. Eastern to b- ring the bell on the six man that they set up in the first segment. And then, uh, you know, again, you can't take the two seriously. I kind of tried to pay attention when Gunther was there, but it's like trying to watch a six man tag with two job guys on one side, and th- on, in this match. They had two breaks in it, so they went two minutes to the break. And they I, I was trying to write down notes. Because at, at it finally at 10.46 p.m., two hours and 46 minutes into the program, they had crossed 30 minutes of wrestling. In the and So it was a wrestling-heavy edition. And I'm not even being a smartass about that. That's more than they usually have. And just, you know... <sighs> Unexpectedly, Owens pinned one of Gunther's stooges. Imagine that. Nobody could have seen that coming. So these guys, their work isn't bad, but they've been presented as the two guys that stooge for Gunther. And they don't beat anyone. They're not physically intimidating. They don't do any real damage when they do interfere. So you can't do six mans with these guys. It Nobody cares. It doesn't work. Want me to move on through the rest of it? Because there wasn't much. As I said before, there was something I really did like. Uh, was it Ricochet and Bronson Reed? No, that was all right, but that wasn't what I really liked. Well, I didn't like that either. <laughs> Because, again, this was another match. They went one minute to the break, and then they came back, and they gave him about four minutes, but Ricochet can do all the gymnastics, but his punches are shameful. And it was just, it was a blah match, and then Reed hit the splash off the top. Looks great. Beat Ricochet. Wonderful. You like the sit-down with Seth Franklin Rollins talking about AJ for the world title number three match. That's what. You know, there are elements of it I really like, and then I find them annoying. It goes back and forth. It was all right for what it was. Obviously, they're presenting him and building him up a certain way for a certain reason, but it was all right. Well, he wants the new, ladies and gentlemen, just so you know his motivation. 
for winning the new number three world heavyweight title belt. He wants the new world heavyweight championship to change the industry because it's given him a life he could never have dreamed of, and he wants to create something that will live forever. Does that make any fucking sense? None whatsoever. And I know they're telling him to say it, but can't they tell him to say something that makes sense? It... The, the reason why you have a world heavyweight championship is so that it signifies that someone is the singular titular best in that field, profession, or endeavor. And when you have two of them, yes, for short-term points, it can create a dispute that can be settled in the ring to the advantage of everybody's business. But there still needs to be one. We've established that. But now that there's going to be three, because Roman has two, this is going to be the other one. It's already got prestige problems. And everybody should be talking about it like this is a chance to be on the same level, to be recognized in a parallel fashion to Roman Reigns and potentially down the line force a reconciliation of this whole matter with a title unification match where I get my opportunity. And then I will be the best in the world. And instead, they're talking about, oh, we're going to put it on this guy that's a good worker so he can defend it a bunch and really make everybody proud. What? I'm going to be a different kind of champion than the other one. I'm going to make it turn the channel. <laughs> Alrighty then. Uh, also, yeah. we we saw Candy LaRue against Zoe Starks. Um, no, we didn't. Candy and her husband have faces that range in emotion from blank to frozen. Uh, okay, then also, Otis and Shushboy wrestled the Vikings. They gave them five minutes with no break. The two bottom teams in the whole fucking company get a match that nobody wants to see. They didn't interrupt that one with a break. And, uh, well, the only other thing I can think of, no, there's a couple other things. Possibly this is what you like. Shaky Nakamura against Finn Balor. I mean, it was all right, but that wasn't the thing I really liked on the show, no. Okay, well, just for those keeping count, um, Shaky beat up Priest who was at ringside, and then Finn got him from behind and hit the double stomp, one, two, three, and about... Actually, I think that was the longer. That was about a seven-minute uh, broken up with only one break. Uh, well, then, us, I know what you liked. You liked the match between Raquel Rodriguez, Gonzalez de Molina Jr., and Cruella DeVille. Eh, I mean, it was all right. Sonya looked like a badass in there, but, uh... No, I mean, that wasn't... She, really she's was. got a great look, but she apparently... They just want to beat her in seconds. But at this point, did you hear the crowd? Uh, no. What did they say? <laughs> they, they didn't say anything. I swear to God, you could... They had to get a really wide shot so you could tell there were, there were ushers wandering the aisles holding mirrors in front of the fans' mouths to see if they were still breathing. It was, it was bad. It was noticeable. And it was under two minutes, and Raquel choke slammed 
Cruella and beat her, and then the heels got 15 seconds of heat, and then Shotzi made the save and did a dive to the floor that, where she landed ass first on Cruella's face. So I'm sure that was comfortable. Um. Okay, well, th then I know what you... You like the contract signing with Becky Lynch and Trish Stratus. That's what you liked. I did. This was my favorite thing on the show. Why? This was great. This what? was fantastic. Okay, then you review it first. Maybe we were watching different programs. A table was placed in the middle of the ring in Hershey, Pennsylvania on Monday Night Raw, the 22nd of May, 2023, for a contract signing, what would turn out to be the very first contract signing that Trish Stratus has ever had on <laughs> WWE TV. Trish Stratus' opponent, the man, the highly decorated former champion Becky Lynch who has a score to settle with Trish Stratus and her bosom, which were on full display here in Hershey, Pennsylvania for Monday Night Raw and the contract signing. I thought Trish delivered a pretty... Again, she has her own style of, of talking and delivering lines, and if you can get past that... <laughs> I mean, no, that doesn't even, I'm not even trying to say that like to poke anything at it, but if you get past that and listen to what she's saying and the way she's saying it, I thought it was really good. And Becky's sitting there and taking it. And when Becky hit her at the end with woof, woof, what'd she say? I'm going to do something to you, bitch. Woof, woof. And Trish flipped the table. That was great. I thought that was great. They got me well, into this. She had, she had referenced when, when they made Trish bark like a dog. She said, oh, you're going to bark like a dog? Woof, woof. I thought this was good. I thought this was actually really good. I thought this is the best I've seen from Becky Lynch in a while. She was dressed a little more like big-time Bex than the man, even though they called her the man. But I thought she was really good. I thought this was really good. Now, if it's two people that hate each other are going to have a match, probably should have some people in there just in case violence broke out. Instead, violence broke out in terms of Trish flipping his table, and then she just walked out of the ring. Well, she's an anti-tableite is what she is. It's, it's violence specifically directed toward one group of furniture. I thought Trish, as just a bitchy former star hating the current star, was great here. Well, see that I started listening, but it, to me, I guess, and maybe that was the era that this is how she learned it, because I wasn't really watching then. I think even I was still in developmental and OVW, and I wasn't watching their main programs. But it's Trish. She's doing WWF scripted mean girl type of stuff in like a Stepford wife kind of. Is that what you were talking about with the delivery she has? Or just the the overall that they the, they always have the women make the catty comments to each other. Well, she does it in a very conversational way. Like It's very conversational. Becky That's raises her voice in everything. And by the way, it's the first time I thought in a while, but Becky, if you ever see the movie The Wanderers, she reminds me of Pee-wee so much in that movie. But <laughs> Becky will raise her voice, other people will raise their voice, or, you know, Rhea gets the deep voice. But Trish is just like, hey, you know, you're, you know, you're, the, you're jealous of me. It's just, it's very, yeah. if you can get past that, it's good. Well, it was good here, I should say. I got to the point where she kind of took credit for women's wrestling coming to the forefront. I said, it's you we got to blame. 
<laughs> and I I put it on fucking speed search, and it was. I know Becky answered. I didn't hear some of it because I can't couldn't hear it on the speed search. But I heard the the woof woof part at the end, and that Trish turned the table over and and she left in a huff. And this was a long segment, even on fast forward. You know what the the line at the end was so good, and the timing of the table flip was perfect. Because I watched it a couple times. <laughs> the timing of the way she flipped the table was perfect. I, so basically, you just wanted to watch or hear Becky Lynch bark like a dog a couple of times. That's not in any way what I wanted. Well, that's what you got. It just so happens to be part of this fantastic segment. Yes. You just got to accept these things as they, they come with the territory, right? I guess so. I don't know if you're transitioning to something or setting me up. I don't no, know. No, I'm going just saying right you're you're liking hearing Becky Lynch bark like a dog. That's not what I said. I specifically said that was not specifically what I said. But you said that while it wasn't the only thing, you would be more than happy to take it as part of the package. No, that's not what I said. I said it's it was just part a of the serendipitous package. type of occasion. Well, I don't think serendipity plays a part in any of this. It was part of the segment that I liked. It just so happened that she in recreating a memorable Tristratus moment, barked like a dog. <laughs> and you listen to it. You know, and it's like, time. you know, it's not even that she hit her with woof woof. It was after bitch. So she's calling her a female dog. And then she goes, woof woof. <laughs> that was so good. Cause you know what? Again, Trish delivered this promo of just being a bitch. And you want to see Becky do something. And she's just sitting there stone-faced, taking it. Every now and then you get a smirk. And when Becky, when firing back at her, she wasn't getting much of a reaction, when she hit her with the bark like a dog, when she hit her with the, uh, reminding her the original angle, Trish, like, perked up. And when she hit it with the line, boom, there it is. There's the kryptonite. You're There's the kryptonite. There's the kryptonite. You bark like a dog. <laughs> when everybody knows she'd rather be purring like a pussy. But anyway. And by the so way, and it's a choice, too, because you can go woof, woof, or you can go bow, wow. Or you can go rough, rough. She went with woof, woof. That's true. You can go bow, wow. You can go rough, rough. You can go woof, woof. But you'd rather hear it from Becky Lynch, wouldn't you? Copying Trish Stratus, yes. Uh, oh, in, the, no, in this okay. segment. In this segment. Yeah, yeah. Purely in a professional basis. On a professional reviewing point of view. Yes. Of course. Would she have to be on her knees like a dog? On her hands and knees? On all fours? Well, now you're just being a chauvinist pig and no one appreciates that. Well, no, that's, that's imitating a dog. A dog just walking around on its hind legs all day, carrying a briefcase. A dog's down on all fours. If you're going to bark like a dog, you got to walk like a dog, right? I'm starting to think this is your fantasy more than anything else the more you keep talking. Well, the thing that I thought you'd fantasize about was the only other thing on the program, Dominic Mysterio against Apollo Crews. Oh, that's right. There was more on this program. I thought that's what you were going to like because I couldn't believe that you would be so perverted and subverted that you would be watching these girls barking like animals. That's but nevertheless, not it. That was a good segment. Well, Dominic beat Apollo Crews with a splash off the top in about five minutes with no break in it whatsoever. So maybe they tried two matches. They actually, they make them shorter because 
But they don't put a break in the middle of them. So maybe they're listening. Maybe they're trying. Apollo Crews just got drafted the Raw. He was in NXT again. They bring him up. He loses <laughs> quickly and clean to Dominic. I know every time that they put him in a new place, the first thing they do to make sure he doesn't get over is beat him like a drum. Well, that was Raw. And after a review like this, I'm hungry. After talking about this show, after watching the show during the show, I was hungry. I'm hungry now. And there's a way that all the listeners could take care of their hunger this summer, Jim. Especially with Father's Day coming up. Well, you know, the big, the big thing is, though, now, Brian, you don't know what to, what to do and who to trust about what to eat, as I've illustrated earlier in the program. Because I was trying to stay away from the red meat. But then they said, oh, no, you got to stay away from that seafood. And I try to eat the seafood, don't eat the seafood, and they got to say, oh, you got to stay away from that red meat. What about the baked goods? You know what? The thing is, they don't really know. So let's use our common sense, folks. If you want to get your dad something for Father's Day, or if you want to get your husband something for Father's Day, or your grandfather, the man in your life, no matter what the relation, something for Father's Day or any day, let's not worry about all these doctors telling people don't eat this and that. Let's just use our common sense. What are you going to get, Dad, for Father's Day? You might get Dad a case of beer or a bottle of booze. Well, that's really unhealthy. What if he's got alcoholic tendencies? What if he gets behind the, the wheel of the lawnmower, even the family station wagon, and runs off a ravine somewhere? Well, then you've just killed Pop. So don't get him booze. That's bad for the the, 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 his blood pressure and his health and everything else. You say maybe, maybe you might want to get him something to do gardening. Get him a wood chipper. Well, that might be good for the old man to get out there and chip some wood, but then what about if mom, if mom gets mad at him? Then you're going to be going around the house singing, oh, dad, poor dad, mom has thrown you in the wood chipper, and I'm feeling so sad. What? Yeah, have you ever heard that old country song? About the wood chopper? No. Over that wood chipper. You know, you know, you know what I said. I don't know the song. No, is it a real song? Oh, dad, poor dad. Mama's thrown you in the wood chipper, and I'm feeling so sad in the key of G. But nevertheless, now what do you, you get? You might get dad a fishing pole, but now think of it. The old man, he's not as spry as he used to be. He might have bad balance. He might have stiff hip. Might have gout like me. He goes out in a boat to go fishing. Stands up, a wave comes along, boop, he's down in the drink, nobody knows how to swim, you've just drowned dad. So don't do these things, don't kill your father, or the man in your life that means something to you, unless of course you're the recipient in the will, and it's valuable, but nevertheless, if you want to get your father something that he's really going to enjoy for Father's Day, or any day, Omaha Steaks! And boy, I'll tell you what, right now, if you go to omahasteaks.com, they have got the packages that you will most want for Father's Day that can include fork tender bacon-wrapped filet mignons or other gourmet grillables like the air-chilled boneless chicken breast. They've got the burgers, the jumbo franks. Those things are so plump. My God, they ought to be John Holmes Memorial Frankfurters. <laughs> and don't forget to save room for dessert because most of these packages come with the delicious caramel apple tartlets, and they've got sides and so much more, and they've got hand-selected packages that are guaranteed to make Dad's Day a special day 
because we all know the dads want steak. And I'll tell you again, you got those, you throw them on the grill, you put them in the broiler. Let's say Father's Day, there comes a giant monsoon. It's pouring rain outside. You don't need to grill these things. As a matter of fact, not only do the Omaha steaks come flash frozen, vacuum sealed, ready for dad whenever he's hungry, with an unconditional 100% money back guarantee, but you can cook them on anything. If it's raining outside, don't worry about the grill. Put them on the stove. You can fry them. Well, you doesn't got to fry them. You could fry them, or you could broil them, or you could bake them, or you could flash fry them, or you could pan broil them, or you could air fry them, but you doesn't got to just broil them because Omaha Steaks, the ultimate in tenderness, juiciness, and flavor is made for Father's Day. And fuck the gout. So what you need to do is head over to omahasteaks.com right now and use the promo code JCE at checkout. You're going to get $30 off your qualifying order. So whichever package that you would like to grip tightly and fling at your father for Father's Day, omahasteaks.com, use the promo code JCE. You're going to get $30 off your qualifying order for Father's Day or, as I said, any day. Why just? Why just relegate dear old dad to one particular day when you can make it Father's Day every day of the week and eat lots of red meat? With OmahaSteaks.com. Promo code JCE. Well, Jim, moving past Raw and WWE, uh, actually, before we do that, let's get one more question about something we kind of talked about. Several listeners have sent in this article. It is from the New York Post by Joseph. Stazweski, with some quotes from AJ Styles about the championship. AJ Styles doesn't want to hear about the World Heavyweight Championship being a secondary world title. He gets the perception that with Roman Reigns being a world champion for nearly a thousand days and currently holding two belts as the undisputed WWE Universal Champion, that the title Triple H brought back in April for Monday Night Raw could be seen as second tier. As he gets set to face Seth Rollins in the final night of a tournament to crown a new title holder at Night of Champions in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, he said it's up to either of them to elevate the World Heavyweight Championship by, quote, consistently being on television with it. What? And then that's the quote. He has, they could elevate it by consistently being on television with it and then deal with the tribal chief should he come looking for a third world title. Now here's the quote. Oh, so he's Roman's got to come to them. Is it secondary? Styles said in a Zoom interview. Well, if the Raw Championship is held by Roman, the SmackDown Championship is held by Roman, then how can you argue that it's not? We had to make a new championship because Roman holds them all. <laughs> what happens if he decides to wrestle for the World Heavyweight Championship? It is what it is, and what? we got what we got. If we make the best of it, and if and when Roman does challenge for it, we beat the brakes off him, whomever it might be, then we'll see what title's secondary. What are your thoughts on these quotes from AJ? I don't know if I want him defending me in court if I'm accused of any kind of serious crime. Because he just came out and said what everybody thinks. Yeah, well, we... 
the guy that won all the titles that it's prestigious because he beat all these people and holds them all and never loses. He won't wrestle often enough. So we'll make this important by being on TV all the time with the rest of the flunkies. What? I don't, I don't know. Were they mad at him for saying that? Or is it just that everybody is really so confused as to what, the legitimate motivation is behind this that they should talk about rather than what it actually is that they're not supposed to say. Can anybody describe this or explain it in a way that's palatable, that's logical, or that anybody understands? What do you think? No, it makes no sense. It's a bad idea. But, you know, going back to the 90s, we started seeing pictures of wrestlers, Ultimo Dragon maybe being the best example, with multiple belts, where they had like nine championships. We've still seen that. I think Omega, a few years back, had three championships. Maybe this is a plot to get Roman Reigns every belt. If he wins the tag titles in Saudi Arabia, and then he wins the World Heavyweight Championship from whoever the champion is at SummerSlam, and then by the time Cody gets to him at WrestleMania next year, Cody wins like 55 championships. Yeah, it reminds me, when I was in TNA with the Dudleys, and Bubba Ray, he'd do promos, he'd talk, we've been world tag team champions 23 times. And I asked him one time, I said, do you think that's a selling point? He said, what do you mean? I said, number one, that means you lost him at least 22 times. And number two, you're counting every company you've been in. And this is not all of those companies. It's TNA for, it is what it is, but also... For the people who haven't, again, followed this with the desperation of, you know, their entire lives depending on it, and don't know that you were at ECW and in WWN and this, wherever the fuck, it just sounds ridiculous. Who can be the tag team champions 23 times and still be in there? He wasn't even 40 at that point. I said, it just, it, it sounds ludicrous at that point, doesn't it? I mean, you know, even in Memphis, I don't think I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't think after a while they ever said how many times Lawler held the Universal Championship. No, they never said how long, how many times he held the Southern title. They never said how many times that he had. That was a magazine thing that was done in the modern era here when Lawler was long since Memphis territory was out of business because they didn't want to. When they would do like retrospectives, uh, Lawler's been wrestler of the decade. He was the Southern heavyweight champion most of the past 10 years. Well, that sounds great. But if you actually broke it down and told people, yeah, he's actually held it in 10 years. He held it 47 times. Well, that sounds ridiculous. Because then you point out he lost it 46. And it just, it's not an attractive statistic for credibility. So they never. And Memphis wasn't the only... Uh, regional territories only posted records that would benefit their business or make their guys look bigger and more important. And that's why, again, Luthez being the six-time world champion, that was the the line they led with when talking about Luthez for, you know, the last 10, 15 years of his career after that. Because nobody held the world title six times back when guys had reigns of years at a time. And then for Harley Race to beat it 
That was a big deal. When he won seven, holy shit, he's beaten Thez's record. And that was over a period of like 12 or 13 years. But uh, anyway, I digressed. Well, AJ Styles defending uh, the WWE's uh, not having a secondary title by saying it's a secondary title. You know, I've seen a lot of main event guys defend titles before, but not have to defend titles verbally. The the existence of them. <laughs> Please don't toe shit on us because we got this belt. Please, we're defending its existence. There really is a reason for it. We're trying to come up with one. Jim, another article that a lot of listeners have sent in, this was from Forbes.com by Alfred Kanua. I hope I'm getting that correct. CM Al Alfred Penny Whistle must have been busy. CM Punk's leverage grows amid scary low AEW collision ticket sales. Have you been following the ticket sales story as it's been emerging? Well, again, not every breaking news update like my life depended on it, but I know that uh, the tickets are literally limping out the doors. Uh, for the record, as I'm reading this, this was from the 23rd, so yesterday as we are recording. AEW Collision's ticket sales are almost as disastrous as the promotion's own looming disaster should CM Punk remain dormant. Punk has not appeared on oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. When you, get, when you get the word disaster in two different places in the lead line, it's not a good article. Punk has not appeared on AEW programming since September 2022. And after a series of bizarre scandals with AEW in recent weeks, Punk's current status with the promotion is anybody's guess. According to Dave Meltzer of Wrestling Observer Radio, AEW Collision in Newark, New Jersey on July 22nd has sold 3,500 tickets. Toronto, Ontario, Canada on June 24th has sold around 1,600 tickets Oof. on Forbidden Door Eve. Most concerning... AEW Collision's June 29th taping has sold less than 600 tickets as of this writing. Despite AEW's impressive ticket sales overseas, the promotion continues to struggle selling tickets domestically. Earlier this month, it was reported that AEW Double or Nothing was at 70% capacity, and as of May 8th, it had only sold 200 tickets in the last month. So I'll stop there, Jim. And one other thing on that topic, and you could say if it's a big deal or not, but a lot of listeners started sending in, I guess, they were getting offers. If you wanted to go to Double or Nothing, you could buy four tickets for $40. Ouch. I think that's what it was. Let me, before I say that for sure, let me double check. No, I've, I've seen the same graphic, though. I've seen the same graphic that people have sent out um, on Twitter and various places, but First of all, Forbes magazine is now covering AEW ticket sales. Are there no big developments in the oil industry? No breakthroughs in aerospace <laughs> leading to billion-dollar mergers? They, are there no prisons, no workhouses? Forbes is covering AEW ticket sales now. Well, look, wrestling gets clicks. And if you're going to cover wrestling and the business side, because it is Forbes, although Steve Forbes is a bit of a goof, but it is Forbes, so you're covering the business side of AEW. Makes sense. When I was when I was a young manager and supposed to be a rich kid, I fucking took pictures with Forbes magazine tucked under my arm so people would think I was as 
millionaire rich kid and this big important magazine. Now they're fucking coming groveling on their hands and knees to us for clicks. Isn't that amazing? Well, Forbes had a lot of money and he also had a son who has turned Forbes into what it is now. But anyway, let's go to this article more than anything else. All righty. Well, here's the thing. They haven't announced who Thunder Rosa's opponent is in the main event in people's minds for this. Is she going to wrestle Samoa Joe? Out of, uh, We talked about this. They were all set to make a big announcement about this show with the network, the upfronts, everything. CM Punk would be the star of our show, the you know, the top name announced, and then these other wrestlers that are going to be used on the program, they're going to debut in the United Center to a big sellout rabid crowd and then go on the road with this. And the only thing that didn't happen when they made the announcement was they didn't have a star. They're not going to fucking debut at the United Center. We don't know again until it's announced. But uh, they don't have the star. They're not going to do the big debut in front of the sellout rabid crowd as far as we're aware. And none of the people that might buy tickets to these shows on the road from there think they're going to see anything other than the island of misfit toys of the good wrestlers that were announced in the press release but are barely, if ever, used on AEW television or haven't been seen in a while. So... And at those prices, what the fuck? What did they expect? Tony couldn't put the whole deal together properly, as usual, and they announced it and it fell apart. And yes, it, it is a one of the most ridiculous dichotomies that I've ever seen in that they're fixing to draw one of the all-time biggest crowds in the history of wrestling in one country and they can't give these fucking tickets away in this country. It is ridiculous, but it's also a symptom of they're starting over again in another country like they did here four years ago. Everything they announced sold out. And we said, how long can the novelty of the most massive crowdfunding organization in the history of wrestling last before it's not the, the new thing, the big thing, the momentous thing, the occasion, the happening that they are, this hysteria is causing it to be. And we found out the hysteria in the United States, except for the diehards has run out and they've seen the shows it's not special, it's not new, it's something that's ongoing. And people can't afford to, as I've said, throw their lives up in the air and become a band traveling deadheads in a VW bus going to every AEW show and buying a ticket. So now it's, they're evaluating whether they want to go to a show depending on whether they want to go to that show because they know there'll be another one. But to people over in England, this is the big day. They, they're starting all over again, and they're kicking the shit out of their first show all in. But will they be running Wembley Stadium in four years or ever again? We shall see. 
But in the meantime, Tony's got to put these deals together and stick to them and make sure they come to fruition instead of planning around things that he has already agreed to and then for whatever reason, those things don't come to pass and it fucks up his plans because he ain't in control. With what's happening in England, it's AEW that's the draw as opposed to any single wrestler or any wrestling personality. It's it's the happening. It's the package. It's the, the happening debut. and the package deal. It's the, You're getting to see the package that you see on TV. They're coming over here. In the States, and I'm including Canada because that's where a lot of these ticket sales numbers are coming from, the damage that's been done, I don't think has really been appreciated by people. Because even including Punk, even if they announce Punk, that he's going to be there, he's not going to turn everything around. You know, when you do shitty TV consistently, let's just look at the last year, over and over again. When you shove certain wrestlers down everyone's throat, when you don't build up anyone properly, when people get seen for maybe a week or two, and then you don't see him for a long time. All of these things leads to a point where nothing is hot. Nothing is happening. There isn't, you know, even like the Young Bucks, like there isn't that big audience anymore. Like, oh my God, I got to go see the Young Bucks when they come to my town. Nothing in the last four years has been done to build past that. They were kind of on the road there with some of the punk stuff. Well, think about, think about this. How much damage has been done to Punk? Yeah. Through through no fault of his own, because in the nine months that he's been gone, the EVPs have done everything they can, as we've as has been documented. We've been talking about all that time to undermine him coming back from the start, to uh, slander him to their fan base, like he was the problem. He's the root of all evil. So those people that may have very well liked Punk because he was part of the company that they liked until they found out that the EVPs that tell them what to think don't like Punk, so then he's the problem. But they've been poisoning a part of the a significant part of the fan base's mind to Punk, not as a heel to dislike him as a heel, but as an asshole to not want to support him. When to support Punk means you're also supporting the company that they not only work for, but are supposed to have an interest in from the office standpoint. So, what's to say that if Punk does come back, he brings his fans back that said, fuck it, I'm not going to watch this romper room bullshit without Punk. But then some of the fucking romper rumors will say, well, I'm not going to fucking look at him because Kenny and Nikki and Maddie told me he's bad. Don't forget Jericho. And Jericho. He screamed at me with no music in, a, in an off note tone over and over that punk was bad and also Sebastian Bach. So they've been tearing their own company down for the past nine months. So Punk comes back, brings his fans back. What do the other ones do? Do they boycott? Who knows? But it's, it wasn't ever anything about trying to help the company or do better business. 
And the United States sees this on a regular basis, and they're tired of it. As you said, there's nobody hot. There's no names. There's nothing different. TV doesn't make sense. Shows are now becoming skippable. The hysteria is waning. Cold water has been shot on the two dogs fucking furiously on the side of the road. But in England, it's still Red Rocket, Red Rocket, full steam ahead for now. Well, Jim, coming out of AEW ticket sales, why don't we talk about the uh, Double or Nothing pay-per-view this weekend or preview it, and then we'll talk about the WWE event that's taking place before that. But Premium live event at 1 p.m. on Saturday afternoon. But, Jim, Double or Nothing 2023 is taking place from the T-Mobile Arena, and here is the card. Let's well, wait, 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 wait a minute. Before you give me the card, Brian, I'm a simple man. I know that I can come to you and I can get this information, but I also know that if I, it's on pay-per-view, right? If I go to my cable guide, then they will tell me everything I need to know about this event, right? In the description where they're trying to get you to buy this thing for $44.95 or whatever for a standard definition picture. And I always order the standard def AEW pay-per-views because I don't want to see these people in high definition. But they're going to tell me, right? I don't know. Well, they got you when you click on the guide, and here it says AEW Double or Nothing, and you click on Info, it gives you a description. Would you like to hear the description (laughs) that one would think that the cable company, it was provided to them by AEW or somebody in their administration, right? It's their show. Yeah. This is the description, and I quote, AEW's marquee event includes a 21-man battle royal featuring champion Orange Cassidy. Oh, my God. As well as several championship matches. That's it. Wow, he's really really in love with Orange Cassidy. It's 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 Vince and Sean at this point. It's not even featuring international champion or the A&P champion or whatever that bogus belt is, but it's featuring champion. So his match, the battle royal thrown together to get everybody a payoff on the card, is the one mentioned. He is just quoted as champion Orange Cassidy, like he's the champion of the whole fucking deal. And the world title match and Chris Jericho's match and all the other matches are as well as several championship matches right there just get ready because while roman reigns and seth rollins or cody rhodes or whoever will be champions over in wwe orange cassidy's he's on pace to be the aew world champion i feel it well, Jim, ah. here's the card all right double or nothing 2023 can i pick nothing now you're not allowed to choose nothing that's the funny oh. part of it yeah well, I'll go to the match you just mentioned. It'll seem like it's three times as long as it really is, though. A so twi- it really should be triple or nothing. A 21-man blackjack battle royal for the international championship. According to Wikipedia, Orange Cassidy, the champion, along with Aaron Solo, Powerhouse Hobbs, QT Marshall, and 17 other competitors to be announced. 
Wow. So again, that's the best thing they can figure out to do with Hobbs is just put him in the match with everybody on the card so he doesn't have to hurt anybody's feelings. They don't get to play at the pay-per-view. In a six-man tag team match, if the Hardy Party wins, Matt Hardy will own Ethan Page's contract. Wait, wait, what? <laughs> the Hardy Party? That's what it says here. Wins, they will own Ethan Page's contract. I forgot all about this. I can't believe we're still doing this. Well, Ethan wait a minute. Talk, talk about fucking ocean pro property in Nevada. <laughs> own Ethan Page's contract. Give me something else worse. Something else worthless is what I'm trying to say. Well, it's in Nevada, so it makes sense. But Ethan Page and the guns, Austin and Colton Gun. Versus the Hardy Party of Isaiah Cassidy, Matt Hardy, Jeff Hardy, and the designated driver. Mm -hmm. I, I has this been on television? <laughs> you know, we definitely saw parts of it because I remember not liking it a little while well, they, ago. They, the, they reunited the Hardys what a month or six weeks ago, and I forgot. Actually, Jeff came back. He made the comeback, right? Well, a lot of people have sent it in, and they wondered if Jim watched it. And the answer is no. It was on Rampage, and plus look what it was. They did another one of their... So they reunited the Hardy Boys and put them on Rampage. Well, no, that's not what I'm saying. They reunited the Hardy Boys and did another one of those deletion-filmed matches at the Hardy compound, so Matt oh, and his Christ. wife can put on a little show. Oh, boy. But yeah, they're going to be on the pay-per-view, the Hardy Party. Also okay. Well, can all of them be deleted? Is that an option in case of a draw? Are they all fired? That would be something. Well, every show needs a bathroom break, but let's go on to the rest of the card, Jim. For the TBS Championship, the champion, Jade Cargill, versus Taya Valkyrie. Again, I wish I could offer some kind of positive thought or, you know reinforcement to any of the i like taya valkyrie she looked like shit against jade jade i'll say jade because jade is green and has been protected and doesn't understand what the business is even about and comes out and does an entrance and looks great standing there and they couldn't have a fucking match and after the match they had which had a goofy stipulation that taya couldn't use the move that she uses that Jade also uses. Why would you want to see another match between these two? Cause the first one was horrible. Well, that was a good preview of the second one, but let's go on with the rest of the card here, Jim. In an unsanctioned match, Adam Cole, Bay Bay versus Chris Jericho. Well, at least it's one-on-one -on -one instead of, you know, all of the Stooges and various uh, affiliated peripheral characters. Uh, yeah. I would have said two years ago, this might be the star of our show. But I don't know about Chris now, and I don't know about Adam now. And I don't know what the fuck's going on, but again, you know... I think Adam should win because it would help him more than it would another Jericho win. Uh, but I'm not holding out a lot of hope because they left Jericho laying face down in the fucking mulch and the crabgrass on free TV. So he might very well be winning this thing. But 
Again, I don't know what kind of shape Adam is in physically or, you know, with the concussion thing or whatever. He's looked so painfully small. We know what we got with Jericho, and it ain't going to change much in the future. I I don't know what kind of goofy entertainment bells and whistles they're going to put in on this, so we'll see what happens. And again, I think they want to get Adam Cole set up for MJF, so I wouldn't be surprised if he wins here after everything that happened, but we will see. Jim, in an Anarchy in the Arena match, the Blackpool Combat Club, consisting of Brian Danielson, John Moxley, Claudio Castagnoli, and Wheeler Yuta, versus the Elite of Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, and Hangman Adam Page. And so Anarchy in the Arena is when they couldn't do the football field fuckery anymore because the pandemic was over and they were back in buildings, but now they can still fight everywhere, right? Right. So this will be a ridiculous, overdone, contrived, phony, choreographed set piece full of holy shit spots with no context. Uh, The prop makers will be working overtime on disguising crash pads and various fake items that are supposed to look like real weapons and everybody will do shit that should kill them 14 times over if this was in any way legitimate but emerge unscathed while dressed as their favorite video game character correct okay you think Takeshita gets involved and turns on the elite I forgot about our friend Take a Shit. Because of the whole idea is you have to bleed with the Blackpool, and we still haven't gotten a clear explanation from Callus, and he was trying to recruit Takeshita months ago. You think Takeshita shows up and turns? Well, either that or Takeshita moved back to fucking Japan because he got sick and tired of waiting around for him to fucking follow up on whatever he did last time. Or maybe he didn't want to see the next match. I don't know. But Jim, for the AEW World Tag Team Championship, Mark Briscoe on a pole. FTR versus Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal and whoever they're with and I made a joke about Mark Briscoe he'll actually be the special guest referee and again I Mark Briscoe could have been one of the most popular singles wrestlers in AEW right now massive baby face could put him in in stuff that would sell tickets and instead they've dropped the ball on something they were given again and it's too late to pick it back up. And now he's a referee. And if they switch him heel, I may put out a fucking contract hit on Tony Khan. If they don't, it's just a massive misuse of his talents and his name on the card. The tag team match will probably be the best tag team match we've seen since last time FTR had a good tag team match. and. It won't matter because nobody cares about Jeff and his group because of all of the comedy and the bullshit and the weird pinheaded fucking giant and Sanjay's cheesy overacting. And again, with some kind of coherent push, Jeff and Jay as a team speaking for themselves and FTR would be a program that I'd be interested in just for good tag team matches. But I don't even want to see this. So I can't imagine anybody else does. Well, Jim, the next match, 
for the AEW World Women's Championship, Jamie Hayter, the champion, versus Tony Storm. Jane was already defending the women's title earlier. No, that's the TBS championship. Does anybody give a shit what they call it? You've had a girl defending a title before the fucking girl defends a title. Therefore, you already did it. So nobody's going to give a shit about this anyway. In a ladder match for the AEW TNT Championship, Wardlow with Arn Anderson <laughs> I forgot about this. versus Christian Cage with Luchasaurus. <sighs> so again, if Wardlow had a single match with Christian Cage in the actual ring, I bet you he would learn more in that 10 or 15 minute period than he has about wrestling in the last year because Christian would be able to teach him some shit maybe work on his timing, maybe go over some shit in the, in the planning stages of the match that would make Wardlow understand why things are done or why he should or shouldn't do certain things. It would be a great learning experience, plus it would be an entertaining match. And I hope to fuck that Wardlow would go over because his booking has been so botched that he needs a nice win and it wouldn't hurt Christian to do the job, right? That's what would happen in a normal match, in a ladder match, for no reason, and again, we laughed because a lot of the AEW apologists and the goofy video game wrestling marks would think, oh, well, there's a reason because they pulled a ladder out and dropped him on it. Fuck. They decided they were going to have a ladder match, and then Tony came up with an angle that in his, in his mind sold it, is what happened. In a ladder match, Christian is a goddamn veteran. He's already had injuries. He doesn't need to take any more chances. He doesn't need to take any more chances with a green fucker like Wardlow. Wardlow doesn't need to be in a ladder match because a guy that size shouldn't be climbing fucking ladders to begin with. And he won't learn anything from this opportunity because you don't learn anything about wrestling in a fucking ladder match. All you do is take a chance on breaking your fucking leg. So this is another overbooked, overdone, Tony's a mark on ADD medicine fucking fiasco and takes away something that could be halfway decent on a pay-per-view and makes a joke out of it. And plus, then you got the fucking dinosaur. And finally, Jim, the main event. For the AEW World Heavyweight Championship, the champion MJF versus Sammy Guevara versus Jungle Boy Jack Perry, versus Darby Allen. Uh, and again, no surprise. You thought last week maybe they realized their mistake. They were going to take Jungle Boy out of the thing and put Rush in, but now that we found out that was just complete unprofessionalism on Rush's part and complete lack of control over his program by Tony and any of his employees. So we're stuck with this. Eight weeks ago, with a focused, concerted build, Darby Allen against MJF, you could have created a little doubt in people's mind, and you would have elevated Darby Allen to a higher level in the people's eyes, and maybe potentially made him a legitimate title contender, somebody that people would emotionally get behind instead of just want to see a 
goddamn stunt show like all the rest of these fucking idiot fans. Can you tell I'm getting fed up with this shit? But again, another chance, opportunity was wasted because of Tony's insistence that because he was told and convinced of the idea that four years ago, these four jack young little jackoffs that he had signed were going to be the future of his company, that now he looks like an idiot in his mind for saying that four years ago if he doesn't make it so. So as a result, we got MJF, who's a main event level guy that's had a match of the year with Brian Danielson, a match of the year with CM Punk, the, the, the promo, everything he's done on point. You got a guy, Darby Allen, that is, has a special kind of charisma and could have been made a legitimate single star out from under the shadow of Sting. Where's he been lately? I forgot it's summertime. It don't snow. You've got Sammy Guevara, who's a good secondary title competitor at this point as a heel or a babyface, if they could ever make their mind up. And they got plenty of secondary titles. But nobody takes him seriously for the main event, for the world title. And then you've got Jungle Boy, who is not only a non-entity, but actually a hindrance in this thing. Because And after going back and watching him take that ass-whipping from Rush a second time, I'm thinking that he had as much fucking job face on about the match that he was winning as Rush had job face on about the match he was losing. Because Jungle Boy not only didn't try to fight back, didn't try to fire up, didn't try to no-sell any of Rush's shit like he was doing to him, but after Rush was even out of the goddamn ring at the end, he was still laying there on his fucking face, Jungle Boy was. It was like he was telling Tony, having his own little conniption fit, well, fuck, if he, if he wants me to have a one-sided match like this and just win with a schoolboy, then fuck him, I'll just lay here and be a beaten-up, sorry, wet-dish-rag prick. So that's the four-way. One champion that belongs, one challenger that could have belonged, one challenger that might one day, and one challenger that's dragging the other three's average down just by being in the fucking ring. What a main event. Well, that's this Sunday. AEW Double or Nothing 2023 available wherever you find available things. It'll be a real test of this audience to see how many of them are going to come out. Is this going to do the kind of numbers the previous pay-per-views have done? It seems like the weakest card they've had yet on pay-per-view, but time they're, will tell. They're trying to make up for the weakness of the card with the quantity of the matches. So I see another five-hour masturbatory fantasy for the trampoline cowboys. Well, Jim, after a uh, pay-per-view like that, we'll see how we feel. But if I was booking it, if I booked that card, I'd probably want to leave the building in sunglasses and looking down and running into a car so no one would yell at me about what this card is. The main thing being sunglasses, I guess that's what I'm talking about. I guess there's, 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 I don't know, there's fucking vehicular manslaughter in there, there's fucking traffic control. If I was we a could... shady booker, and I had to leave the building quick, I'd put on my shady rays. What about if you were a bad booker and you had to leave the building incognito because the fans would run after you with pitchforks? How about that one? Shady rays. 
Shady Rays will be the one to fix you up, folks. If you want to hide your appearance, then Shady Rays is the place you need to go because they have sunglasses that you can't see through for nothing. Well, no, they have, no, you could see through their sunglasses, and I don't understand how that would help you if you can't see through the sunglasses. Well, no, you can see through them, the, through the business side of them, but you can't see through the outside of them. It's like those peepholes in the hotel room, except every once in a while, they find out the maintenance man goes through and reverses the peephole so you can see in but not out. It's amazing how they found that. I'd only been doing it for about three weeks, but anyway. Oh, God. So... Folks, Shady Rays are durable and built to tackle all of life's outdoor adventures, whether it is escaping from an angry group of wrestling fans outside an arena or just going out and walking the puppy. Whatever you want to do outside, Shady Rays is going to protect you from the vicious, burning, searing, painful rays of the sun that can damage your corneas and your retinas and your pupils. If you ever go out in the middle of summertime, and you you smell a strange smell that sounds like sounds like or smells like something's burning, Brian. Does that happen to you? You smell something burning outside in the summertime. Well, yeah, of course. People barbecue. There's a lot going on. No, no, that's your corneas and your pupils and your retinas and your your magentas and all the things in your eye. The sun's rays will burn your eyes until you're blind. You cannot see. That's what happened to old Cyclops in the X-Men. And he had those shady rays that he lifted up every now and then to use his heat vision. But nevertheless, shady rays will protect your eyes from the sun and its damage that it does to all us human beings. And if you break or lose your shady ray sunglasses, they will replace them for you, no questions asked. So again... Let's say, for example, you're walking down the street, you got the shady rays on, the sun can't damage your eyeballs. But you've got an enemy that wants you to go blind. And he reaches his leg out from behind a tree and trips you, and you fall down and you break your shady rays. Now you turn over, you look up at the sun, and it's burning the shit out of your eyes. But you don't have to fear because you're going to get a second pair of shady rays for free. Just run home. Wrap a towel around your head and run home. Call them on the phone. Tell them, send another pair ASAP. And whatever you do, don't go out in the sunlight until they show up. But they will arrive at your door free of charge because they've got the best industry lost and broken replacement program in the whole damn sunglass business. They're at Shady Rays. How many times have you suckered them for a free pair? Not once, and I don't think other people should even think about it in those terms. You get the good sunglasses, you put them on, you enjoy them, you look good, people compliment you on them, they protect your corneas from whatever eye death you're talking about, but you don't look to take advantage of the company. You get a lot of people telling you, hey, you look good there. And, and, you know, here's another thing. Like I said, you can see through the shady rays, but the people can't see back through to where you're eyes are so you can be looking around from side to side staring at people's various parts of their anatomy they'll never know it you're sitting on a park bench you're just you're just minding your own business but really you're eyeballing everybody in sight behind those shady rays folks and they'll give you 30 days to try them if you don't like them you can return them you can exchange them 
As a matter of fact, I, I know one guy that exchanged his pair of Shady Rays for a Dalmatian puppy. And they ended up very happy. They do not do that, for the record. That's not an official Shady Rays transaction. It says you can exchange them. If you don't like them, why would you change them for another pair of sunglasses you wouldn't like? You got to exchange them for something else, don't you? A different pair of sunglasses that you may like. Ah, well, you can return them for free. Get your money back. Anyway, (laughs) folks, right now, what's better than getting one pair of Shady Rays and not worrying if you break them or lose them just with impunity, just taking hammers to them? It's getting two pair. Right now, go to ShadyRays.com slash JCE and use the code JCE for a limited time. When you buy one pair of Shady Rays, you're going to get a second pair for free. That's Shady Rays, S-H-A-D-Y-R-A-Y-S dot com slash J-C-E, code J-C-E. You get a second pair for free. And then if you lose or break both of them, then you, you call them back and you get four pairs or something. I don't know. Just figure it out yourself. Protect your eyes, people. They're all we got. Well, Jim, let's go from double or nothing to Saudi Arabia. (laughs) So, so talk about the gas chamber or the electric chair. The only way to get away from double or nothing is to go to Saudi Arabia. Where you don't get the option. It's just nothing and you'll like it. But here are the matches for Saturday afternoon, domestically, Saturday afternoons. What is it? Night of Champions. 1 p.m. Eastern, I understand. 1 p.m. Eastern. In a singles match, I don't know why that has to be uh, said, but in a regular match, <laughs> Becky Lynch versus Trish Stratus. No, uh, no, one of the women's titles on the line, just pure grudge, just pure hatred and violence and mayhem from these two warriors. Um, there, there is a chance this will be the most amount of clothes that Trish Stratus has ever worn in a wrestling ring. <laughs> That's right. They got to. They got to cover up some of the, the coochies over there. I understand. I mean, you know, Becky Lynch is is great. Trish has been inactive for quite a while. Um, we saw one before. I asked. I said, "Is that kind of the way Trish worked, or was she rusty?" I don't think we're expecting Charlotte and Ripley here, but the 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 people will be interested. Not only the people here in this country that like. Trish's diva era and Becky's demand, but also the Saudi Arabians who have never seen women probably scuffle outside their own home. Another match, this one for the SmackDown Women's Championship, Rhea Ripley versus Natalia. And th- this is going to be good because Natty can go. She hasn't been presented in the title picture in that company for a long time, but She's a good worker. She loves the wrestling business, and Rhea Ripley is kind of like a modern version of her. She's a strong, powerful, not powerful woman like they see these days, but powerful as in strength-wise. She's got size, and they both can work. So this will probably be a much better women's match than Trish and Becky, but not have the drawing power of Saint. For the Raw Women's Championship, the Wait cha- a minute, now they, they got three women's matches in Saudi Arabia. Are they trying to change the culture overnight over there? We'll see, but the champion Bianca Belair versus Asuka. 
okay, I'm afraid to say anything because Bianca and Io was tremendous. So let's see if Bianca and Oscar can beat Bianca and Io is all I've got to say. And again, it'll be interesting because it's a different crowd and also... Asuka and Bianca are going to have to wear a different kind of clothing in the ring because of the restrictions in Saudi Arabia, but I'm intrigued by that match to see what it is. For the Intercontinental Championship, the champion Gunther versus Mustafa Ali, or Mustafa <sighs> Ali, excuse me. I mean, obviously, they're trying to go for a hometown, or in this case, home region. I don't know where... Old Mustafa Ali or Muhammad Ali. I don't even know what his name is now. I don't know where he's from. But he looks like he might be a, a hometown hero in that part of the world. And that is the absolutely the only reason that I can think of why are they, they are putting him in the ring with Gunther or giving him a title match because it's not just my opinion that nobody gives a shit whether he lives, dies, or drops dead, or turns blue, or catches on fire, but that's the way they treat him on the television program, and they just did the other, where Brock couldn't even be bothered to beat him up. Just fucking get out of here, kid, you bother me. So, the thing that I'm afraid of is that to make it in any way palatable for the live crowd, Gunther's gonna have to figure out some way to stooge for this fucking guy that's now, with even with Gunther's weight loss, probably 50 pounds lighter, but certainly a foot shorter. And I know Gunther is great, but I'd like to see, if it's a big event and I'm forced to watch it, I'd like to see Gunther against somebody, I don't know, serious. They could have a good match on purpose. Your thoughts? It may be an okay match, but again, he's been treated like a jerk-off on TV for so long, it's hard to look forward to this match or take it seriously. With that said, it'll probably be really good, and hopefully they get the crowd into it, and it gives Gunther another win on a big stage leading into whatever his future is. But they've Yeah, been... but goddamn it, it took him 14 minutes to beat that old woman in that wheelchair. Does that really make him look good? Look, that's one of the things everyone does wrong. I mean, it took... Action ends ready, 15 minutes to beat Jericho. I mean, it's hard to say, but... Well, but now, now in that case, though, that propelled his career... Well, that's true. I'm looking at it in reverse echelon. there. That's true. That because is true. now Action Andretti is, is a household name featured what? on every one of AEW's television programs from that point out. Oh, what I meant to oh. say is it took Rush like 10 minutes to beat Jungle Boy. Well, yes, and that... Uh, uh, never mind. Let's go on. Also on this show... For the undisputed WWE Tag Team Championship, the champions Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn versus the Bloodline, comprised of Roman Reigns and Solo Sokoa with Paul Heyman. This one is a little bit harder to... I mean, I, I don't think they're going to switch the belts. I think they're going to beat Solo in some fashion. But the question becomes... What part do the Usos play in the whole thing with the bloodline? And since Roman dedicated the win to Afa and Sika, he can't lose. One would think that Solo couldn't lose because then Roman would be pissed at Solo as well as the Usos. But one would think that Roman Reigns already has enough belts and he only wrestles once every couple months anyway, and that's the whole reason they've created another world title, so he's, they're not going to win these tag belts. 
and have both the sets of tag belts tied up with them. So I'm thinking that the Usos try to redeem themselves and fuck up even further and cost Solo the thing. That's just my opinion. Argue with me. Can't argue because I don't know what they're going to do, but it is an interesting wrinkle if Roman and Solo win the tag titles. Beyond Roman having all the belts, just what that means for the Roman Reigns-Uso relationship. Yeah, but Jesus Christ, then the only thing to win the belts, the only person it would be good for is Roman because then he can jack them for more money. You think I'm absent a lot now. Now that I got all the belts wrapped up around me, give me another $10 million a year and I'll show up once a month. I mean, what? they wouldn't do that. It would make no sense. And they're telling people, that's why this match makes no sense anyway, not as a match, but for the belts. And I know it's part of the storyline. But if you ignore loopholes in your logic, I mean, Columbo, the murderers, had a pretty good plan until he figured it out, right? But why would they put Roman, the company, the WWE, why would they as a company allow Roman Reigns, the undisputed Universal and WWE champion, who they've come out and said won't defend those titles, to have a shot at the undisputed tag titles where he could wrap up two more sets of belts? It, uh, you know what I'm saying. I guess so. A couple more matches here, Jim. Cody Rhodes. Versus Brock Lesnar. This one, again, you know, I think, obviously, the broken arm is Cody's out. And I just, I wonder exactly, remember we talked about it before, Hannes, if, if they're going to do this more than once, then it's possible that Brock could win the first one. But I didn't think so. I thought Cody had to win. And he did win, but he didn't win in decisive fashion. So then they've, they've challenged for the fight, and they've shot this angle. Cody has a handicap now, a weak link, so he'll get over by fighting through it like Dusty would, and there'll probably be a bunch of twists and turns, but in the end, the arm will spell his downfall. But now it's not over, and the question becomes, do they rush it up? And do they bring it back at, what is the the June pay-per-view isn't King of the Ring anymore, or is it now, again? Uh, whatever. Th yeah, I think it may be again, I'm not it sure. It may be, okay, whatever the next big pay-per-view is, do they rush it up for that, and Cody wins two out of three, or do they let it hang for a while, and Cody heals and beats a few other, not underneath guys, but everybody's under Brock, so another few heals, and then gets to redeem himself against Brock right before he has an opportunity at hopefully Roman Reigns again or something to, again, to get back in the line of finishing the story. So they've made the chase. They've prolonged it. But eventually he can't go for the new world title or that's just, that's the consolation belt and that's probably why that you know, he's agreed to do all this because he knew he had an out to not be in contention for the thing to begin with. He wouldn't fail at something he didn't want and didn't try for in the first place. But I think that may be the the path now. Brock wins. Cody heals. 
rehabilitates the injury, beats a few more people, and then comes back and redeems himself against Brock before his next big chance at winning the title that would finish his story and bring him back to where he was with Dusty and the God. And finally, Jim, finishing this story, the main event for the inaugural World Heavyweight Championship, Seth Franklin Rollins versus AJ Styles. Okay, is that billed as the main event, or is that just well, the last match listed on the listing? This is the last match listed on Wikipedia, so whatever that means. Okay, yeah, well, that's not going to be the last match. It better not be. I mean, they might think they can get by with it in Saudi Arabia, but a lot of people watching the cock at fucking 3.45 on a Saturday afternoon of Memorial Day weekend may not stick with it after Cody and Brock. What about the bloodline? Don't you think you may have to end with Roman? Um, I, well, Especially if Brock wins? I don't know that they care about leaving the people go home happy in Saudi Arabia for the live event. The, either the Roman match or... Cody and Brock will go on last. Roman probably has a better chance of going on last because that will be a longer match with more, you know, action to it per se, because Brock and Cody can't go long and Brock or and Cody with a broken arm. But if Cody goes on and Roman is remaining, they'll stay. If Roman goes on and Cody and Brock are remaining, they'll stay. If Cody and Brock and Roman and that bunch goes on and they've still got AJ and Seth, that's going to be a fucking pilgrimage out of that building early. Even if you give them a big celebration. Well, again, it's Saudi Arabia, not anywhere else. Well, and, and also off the television. Even if you give them a big celebration of Seth Rollins winning the World Heavyweight Championship and he gets to dance and sing and do his thing. Well, I, well, you know what? They may also, they may have the doors of the stadium locked. They may tell people, don't get up until we tell you you can. So you never know. But no, that would be hugely anticlimactic. Uh, and the match is going to be probably, not even probably, technically in the ring, athletically, the best of the night. And now the, they've painted both AJ and Seth as baby faces now, so I'm not sure who the people are supposed to cheer for or how they're going to be able to figure that out. But uh, it, it, it's not, it's going to be the best match in the ring. It's not nearly going to be the most attractive match from a ticket selling standpoint or keep the people with bated breath until the end. Well, there it is. WWE night of champions coming at you this Saturday or uh, wherever you are, whatever time zone, wherever you want to see it, it'll be on Peacock. Night of Champions. Wait a minute, we got some news that's broken. I just saw. And the king of broken news, Uncle Dave. Oh, that wasn't what I saw. Well, I'm seeing that he's tweeting the belief is that CM Punk will debut on June 17 at the first collision show in Chicago and that the issues have been settled. Unless things change, Chicago will be announced tonight. We're recording on Wednesday afternoon, folks, because of my toe out yesterday. Thanks, guys. We're going to be in Chicago. It's going to be great. And Dave continues, how the announcement of Punk's return will be handled is unknown. So that's the report that I'm seeing. What kind of report have you got? I was going to tell you, uh, I'll save it and we'll talk about it as a separate topic here. But what do you think about this? The idea that... Well, just, just milk me then. Just 
How do you keep an idiot in suspense? I'll tell you tomorrow. Um, obviously, they've got something settled. Who knows what? But not even obviously, because yeah, these things have been obvious before and they don't happen. I'll believe it when I see it, as Mama Cornette used to say. I think there had to be some desperation with the collision ticket sales that we've talked about earlier and the fact that if they had to come out there tonight and announce, my God, this, this new network two-hour primetime television show that we've got is supposed to be just the biggest thing you've ever seen is going to debut live from Daly's Place in Jacksonville, Florida that nobody even knew existed until AEW did TV there in the pandemic. That's not exactly an NBA arena, United Center, Chicago, Illinois, etc. So their backs were up against the wall to make this thing succeed on a number of levels. But they still are, and for the reasons we've talked about early in the program, how much damage have they done to the reputation of their number one babyface, their number one attraction, their biggest name, babyface or heel, CM Punk? How much have they made some portion of their fan base not dislike him because he's a good guy or a bad guy, but because they've said he's a cancer and he's a problem? So we'll see what happens. Should we, should we just take a break right now, Brian, you think? And since this news will be announced in a mere five or six hours, and come back and finish this program in the morning with the fresh announcements? Well, let me ask you just a couple of things before we take a little break here. I like that idea. Do you have CM Punk in Vegas? They're in Vegas tonight. They're in Vegas. I don't I don't know if it's a live Rampage uh, or not, but usually they do a live one before the pay-per-view. And then, of course, for the pay-per-view, they're in Vegas. Do you have Punk make an appearance? Or do you try to just sell the show? And not just the show in Chicago, but... At this point, because of the ticket sales that we talked about earlier, the show off the name CM Punk, does he need to make an appearance? Well, since I'm pulling this all completely out of my ass as I've just heard this and read this tweet and blah, blah, blah. What about if they announced that the debut of Collision would be in the United Center in Chicago on, on June 17th, but didn't say anything about CM Punk? And what if then, later on in the program, possibly even while there's a fucking match taking place, or coming out of a commercial break and the announcers are... Something that's... There's already something going on. And suddenly his music hits, and out he comes, and everybody stops and stares slack-jawed. And he grabs the microphone, and if there is a match going on, they just say, fuck it, we want to hear this too, or whatever the VTR, they cut it or the announcer pitch, they stop it. And he says, did you really think you're going to go back to Chicago without me? And he proceeds to tell whatever the story is that he's going to fucking tell when he does come back. I don't know. <laughs> There's going to be a large portion of the audience that is going to be ecstatic to see him back. And there's going to be a significant portion of the audience that are in the camp of the buckaroos and the video game characters 
they're going to hate seeing him back. He's going to be at the same time the hottest baby face and the most hated heel to vary to one side or the other in the company. And it's going to overshadow everything else. So they've either got to play along with it and give the people the explanation for it that they want, that they can make the best use out of, or they're going to ignore it and it's going to, because of legal or whatever, and it's going to be a continuing distraction that nobody can get any business done around. Punk is the best wordsmith they've got when it comes to telling a shoot story, working and shooting at the same time, and where does one end and the other begins? And I would think that they would be able to agree on something that he could say where he could both defend himself against some of his naysayers announce that he was back to go back to where he was before, which is the AEW world champion. And at the same time, do some, you know, immediate at a triage or repair work on all the damage that's been done to the company's credibility by coming out and, and talking like a shoot. Yeah. Me and some people in the fucking locker room don't like each other to the point where we've gotten in fucking physical fights because it's a physical business. Now I'm going to do my thing just like I always do and everybody else can do theirs and we'll see which one you like better. Well, we and should... Oh, go ahead. Well, hold on. On the pay-per-view, they haven't advertised him if they advertise him on Thursday for ticket sales, I guess some last minute ticket sales, but I would go ahead and I would see because Tony's got some money to play with. He's not desperate. I would see what the fuck it with knowledge that maybe in CM Punk will not be at the pay-per-view. I don't know if I'd go that far, but don't tell him, don't tell him he is and see if there's any last minute jump into this thing like a bunch of last-minute buys or a bunch of last-minute tickets sold, and then decide whether to have him show up based on if there is, maybe you've got to have him do something. And if there isn't, well, he wasn't advertised and they took you at your word. But at least you would know that just the mere tease of him might have created a little oomph. But I think it's too late to advertise him to mean anything. Unless, you know, so maybe would it be better that he came out after MJF finishes with the other three pillows and may, they had some kind of confrontation to tell people that Punk is back in the title hunt and that was unannounced, but people that, wow, we got a bonus on this lackluster pay-per-view. Maybe in the future we might buy some more of them that don't look too good on paper because a big star might come out unannounced. Who knows? But there, it's late to shoehorn him into anything meaningful three days away. But they could at least kick collision off in a better, a better fashion, and hopefully do some damage control on the mess they've already made in their own bed. That's my opinion. Well, that's the preview of AEW Collision coming to Chicago at uh, some point soon in June. I forget what the maybe date was. maybe <laughs> we think or Daly's place very soon. 
Jim, before we take a break and find out what else is going on, and then get some questions, as we promised, some breaking news. At the age of 83, Tina Turner has passed away. Oh, no. Oh, and 83, I guess, well, I guess she would be, wouldn't she? Son of a, because she was with Ike at an early age, but that was the late 50s. So, good Lord, all those times that I was 20 years old and looking at those videos, I didn't know she was already in her early 40s and didn't look it. And I wouldn't have let it stand in my way. Well, that's good to know. I'm sure that's what she wanted to hear on a fitting tribute <laughs> her, to her. On a tribute to her upon her death, she wanted to hear that she turned Cornette on. Um, Amazing great, comeback. Really one of the great comeback stories ever when she, with MTV and the new yeah. hair. Well, that, with, that's uh, what I was going to say. A, a, a great talent in two different eras in, th in three or four different genres. Because she started, you know, from a poor upbringing. She started in Ike's band as his singer and tore the place down. But that was Ike Turner and the Ike and Tina Turner review in those days was all soul and early funk. And, you know, she was perfect at that. And then the breakup, she gets out with practically nothing, has to start all over again. And then she becomes not only the the queen of MTV, but a, a rock star as a black woman in her early 40s when MTV had just been playing black artists for like, what, six weeks? And she takes that over. And then later on in her career, she was more, not saying she was more, but she did more pop stuff and even ballads and movie soundtracks. She did everything. Would she be, where would she rank as the highest selling female artist of the modern era? Well, of any era. I would have to check. I mean, there are some artists that sold a lot of records, but, you know, with Tina Turner, it was songs. It was also the stage act. You know, if you watch early Rolling Stones footage, I'm a big Rolling Stones fan. Mick Jagger. He loved her. Well, awkwardly at the beginning, he was trying to copy James Brown and he looked Somewhat ridiculous, but it worked because there were women screaming, and that makes things yeah. work. But by the early 70s, specifically after the Stones had Ike and Tina open for them in 69, and again later, he started doing Tina Turner's moves. So when you look at early Mick Jagger, he's not the character that he would become later. That came, in my estimation, from him copying Tina Turner and trying to evolve that into his own thing. Yeah. And, you know, Tina Turner could have been the superstar Billy Graham of music. And that, that was the thing is she did, she developed all that herself because it was just natural and she didn't really have a lot of examples to, to follow or to imitate or to copy or whatever. I mean, it, she was before Janis Joplin, so it's not like a woman having a physical meltdown on stage was an idea that she got from Joplin or whatever. She was just doing it. And when I said most highest-selling female artist of all time, I mean, it, there weren't tons of high-selling female artists until the 50s. I mean, the Andrews sisters in World War II, for fuck's sake, right? I know I'm probably, you know, overlooking a few people, but... 
she literally during the the prime era of record sales 50s 60s 70s 80s it got to its biggest in the 50s 60s 70s and started tailing off in the 80s and early 90s she was on top for that whole time so it would almost be you know her and madonna and i pulled up probably a list. two or three other oh there is a list available okay and actually, she's not really on it because what because again album sales and ticket sales for touring are two different things and Although, but all those hits, although private dancer was a big hit and she certainly had some hits with Ike and Tina, but if you really think about it, how many single hits did Ike and Tina have that sold even river deep mountain high with Phil Spector didn't sell. That was why that record bombed in the States, but it did great in England. Well, that's true. But Madonna, well, what, what is the list then? According to uh, Wikipedia, which never gets anything wrong, <laughs> Madonna with an estimated 300 million album sales, followed by Rihanna with 250 million, Mariah Carey with 220 million, Taylor Swift with 200 million, Beyonce to everyone else 200 million, Beyonce, Whitney Houston, Celine Dion, and then after that, at 150 million, Barbara Streisand, and the list goes on from there. And Tina, Good Lord. Tina Turner is not on the list that I see. Well, goddammit, I'm going to go out and buy a Tina Turner album just to fucking help put her back on the list. We used to have these puppets we would show the kids, Ike and Tina Turtle. <laughs> but Jim, uh, before we uh, get out of here, of course, our respect to the uh, friends and fans, the family of Tina Turner, a fantastic musician a fantastic performer, and so many people focused on her legs. Beautiful legs. Gorgeous woman. Beautiful legs. I would have to think if she was out there performing right now, she would probably have a better way of transitioning, but she may want to find a way to... I probably shouldn't say it that way. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you one thing. You don't have any hair on your legs if you don't leave this all in. She probably needs to get that hair off those legs because she is all woman. And a yard wide. I don't know how to save this, but what are you talking about? Manscaping. You could have said easily, you know what? No matter what else Ike did, if he'd have just shaved his balls properly, maybe they could have stayed together and been happy. And just handed it off to me with that. Oh, yeah. That would have been a better transition. That was the problem, that I wasn't shaving his balls. That was the big problem, because Ike had stinky balls. It came out in all the books afterwards. No, folks, I'll tell you what. It is summertime. Now, we we know this much. And Father's Day is approaching. And for some of you out there, if you want to ever have a chance at becoming a father or even practicing, much less fulfilling the deed, you're going to have to do something about the stench that's emanating from your nether regions because we know that that is not conducive to carnal knowledge or reproductive behavior. Anything you might want to do with mother on Father's Day or anything that you might want to do with grandmother on Father's Day if you're the grandfather or you know all these relationships, I don't need to go on, You got to be clean, slick, and smelling halfway decent instead of smelling like a chicken farm on the outskirts of Purdue, North Carolina. So you go to our friends at Manscaped, and they will fix you up because all winter long now that we've sprung, spring has sprung, 
you might let things grow and weeds come up in various places, but by summertime, when all the humidity is out there and crops are fermenting and mulch beds are rotting and things are gr mushrooms can grow in cracks and crevices where moisture is retained, you got to get in there and weed whack all that shit out. And right now, the Performance Package 4.0 is ready to help you with all your under mud flap mushroom growth. The kit comes with the essential Lawnmower 4.0 waterproof cordless body trimmer that we have raved about many times. It reduces, almost eliminates the nicks, the scratches, the gouges, the whacks, the slices, the dices, and the other things that can happen when you're dealing with an area where there's so much loose, wrinkled, and saggy flesh. And believe me, I've seen the pictures that you people send into the email at Corny's drive through and there's a lot of saggage out there. Brian, you've seen those pictures. No, I haven't. What pictures? What saggage? What, are you, what pictures are you getting? Well, the, 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 the folks out there, they're sending some pictures in, uh, talking about how they've been enjoying the Manscaped products. Also in the Performance Package 4.0, you got the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, the Crop Previver Ball Toner. As, as That ball toner, you know, I've found that also you can put it on your crow's feet and it 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 what? looks just fine. Yeah, the ball toner looks good for your crow's feet. We do not encourage nor does Manscaped applying any Manscaped uh, uh ball products to your eyes. <laughs> what do you do if you can if you can put your ball stuff on your eyes and your eye stuff on your balls cuz actually your eyes have balls. So why can't you use your, your eye eyes? stuff on your balls? What? There's an anti what? it's an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. And nobody likes nose hairs, so their package comes with the Weed Whacker 2.0 that takes care of not only the nose hairs that come out and get shaggy, but also the ear hair, you know, those tufts of ear hair. When they get big enough, well, you can just clip them with scissors and and actually use them to stuff small children's toys that you can make by hand. What? Yeah, that's with your ear hair. It gets a little thicker as you get older. And yeah, the Weed Whacker 2.0 takes care of that. It's all part of the Performance Package 4.0. And you get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag. That's a $39 value. Now, it's actually that's the name of it, the Shed Travel Bag. It's not actually a shed that you travel around with. And they've also, they're going to throw in the patented high-performance reduced chafing manscaped boxers. Now, you may ask, how can a pair of skivvies, the old boxer shorts, how can they be termed high performance? The answer is this. They are made of a specific uh, material that has been made to reduce the chafing in the inside of your leg and in the intersection of your taint, your coin purse, and your thial area. Because a lot of times you'll get some root rot and some fungus growing there, and if you get a goddamn uh, 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 an infection in that area because you're rubbing together and like Boy Scouts trying to make fire in the woods, well, then that can just eat up your whole genital area, and then you're just walking around looking like a Ken doll. So before your dick gets infected and drops off, wear these boxers, and they come free. And you also might want to get the Manscaped 2.0 Shears nail kit, which has all of the tools oh, that's to groom great. 
Yeah, that thing's yes. great. Your fingernails, your toenails, the various nails that you've got that grow out from behind your ears, and also the, well, that's only for the feather bottoms. But also if you what? have fangs, there's a tool in there that works wonders with your fangs. But right now, I don't even know Just what to say anymore. Go to Manscaped. We didn't know what to say to start this thing. That's why I started at a fucking handicap. I've tried to make up ground. Just <laughs> go right now to manscaped.com and use the code DRIVE, D-R-I-V-E. And what are you going to get? I'll tell you what you're going to get and a whole lot more. 20% off and free shipping. 20% off and free shipping. Anything and everything that you want to order from this website. If you use the code DRIVE at manscaped.com. Trim your chesticles with the besticles is what they say. And I say they ought to fire their copywriter. They said that? Really? That's what they said right here on this piece of paper. I'm not lying to you. Your chesticles with the besticles. But, but see, that's why they save money on copywriters and they use it to reduce expense to the consumer. That's why they're taking 20% off. All that money... The extra 20%, they would have hired proper advertising people? No. Instead, Cornette, just tell them to shave their crotch and they get 20% off. And it save, it, it, they pass the savings right on to the hair-growing consumer. So anyway, guys, for Father's Day or <laughs> any male day, and there, there's some things here that the, the any ladies... Any male day? <laughs> Any male day, well, you're getting it in the mail for a male or a female because there's things here that many females could use. And you just get them and, and, and look at them and determine which one the wife wants, which one the husband wants, who's going to play what part, and, and, and then strap it on and get at it at manscaped.com. There's slash, no strapping involved. There's, it's not a slash either. It's just a code. Drive, 20% off and free shipping. Manscaped. Don't strap anything on. Well, Jim, we are back. I don't have my uh, synthesizer here, so let me give you a sound effect of some sort. <laughs> we are back here yeah. another day of the drive-thru. How, how about I'll give you a fucking sound effect? There's my sound effect. Mine was for, live. That was for, for your sound effect for the... AEW television program from Wednesday night, May 24th. For my general overall physical condition, st I'm still malingering from the gout. Now I've got a sore knee. The knee that has no ACL is the knee that's attached to the foot that's attached to the toe that's got the gout. And I've been walking crooked for three days. That's bothered me. And the medication for the gout has interfered with and changed around the scheduling of my poopy habits. So now I'm ready to speak to you about this major announcement that was made last night. Go ahead. Thanks guys. Uh, Tony Khan made another announcement from the spaceship that he broadcast from. Seriously, it's weird. It has a different look than everything else on the show. None of the backstage promos are done on whatever this mystery set is supposed to be or wherever this green screen is, it's just him. He's on the bridge. Doing these hostage He's, statements. Do you, do you think, Shad, see, here's the thing. When I was a kid... He's on the bridge. <laughs> Mama Cornette wasn't a billionaire. Mama Cornette was not a billionaire. 
So I had to make do when I was a kid, when I was seven, eight years old, Star Trek was on network television, by God. That's why uh, the kids from our generation grew up smart. So we had Spock telling us what to do. And what I did was I spent about 78 cents and got a bunch of poster board and drew all the buttons and the screens and the graphs and the bells and the whistles and everything like you'd have on the bridge of the Starship Enterprise. And I took a 22-cent roll of scotch tape. That's what it cost back in 1968. And I taped those things all over the bathroom wall. And suddenly, the bathroom became the Starship Enterprise Bridge. And that was hours of fun for a young man back in those days. And now, Tony, because his father's a billionaire, I'm wondering if he's built him his own life-size, full-fledged, possibly even working version of the bridge of the Starship Enterprise, Brian. Well, let's continue this talk evaluating Tony's spaceship, and let's go back to your spaceship. Did you consult Mama Cornette while building this, while constructing this, or was she surprised what you were doing all day? It, well, it didn't take me all day to do it, but she was surprised when she saw the extent to which I went. <laughs> <laughs> and there, there was almost no wall left by the time that I got anything that I could reach, at least. Let's put it that way. But nevertheless, were you going to wear? Were you going to wear an outfit or, of any sort? Like, did you have a Star Trek outfit that you would make? No, I had, I had a, a beret and a sash and a saber. <laughs> <laughs> That's where we got the original inspiration for the. Cult of Cornet <laughs> Fan Fest watchers. Keep everything honest there. You get this, the matching sash, beret, and rapier or sword or saber or whatever saber. it may be in a scabbard. That's what they call them. Did you know that? Well, let me just, I, I'm just very did curious. Did you know that little trivia? They call I did it not know scabbard. that. I did not know that. But goes in. you said sword or saber. Does that mean swords are acceptable? Well, the foils, if you're a fencer, foils, swords, sabers, machetes, possibly. Oh, my God. Do you Any see that teacher in the news right now with the machete? No. Were they using it, the teacher of Furus or Aginus? This teacher in New York, I of guess course. she went crazy on these kids who were pro, I guess they were pro-life. I'm trying to think what the two options are. They were pro-life. <laughs> She was ultra pro-choice, and I went crazy on them, and it got into the newspaper, and then when the New York Post went to her apartment to interview her, she came out and put a machete to the reporter's neck, and it's all on video, and then he's just, like, not moving. He's like, oh, okay, oh, you know, okay. But, they, okay, but now, but now, wait, but so did she actually whack anybody with the machete? No, but she chased okay, them. Okay, well, I thought that's where you were going with it at the start, so I'm relieved to know that it was only, she was chasing people with a machete and putting a machete to people's neck, but she didn't actually sink one in. No, she chased them out into the street with the machete. Luckily, there's video footage of all this, but... Is this a New York thing? That that it happens a lot. Is there a lot of machete crime up there? Was this just her particular weapon of choice? Well, she may be into harvesting sugarcane. We really don't know. But let's go back to Tony's announcement on the dock of the spaceship or the bay. I forget exactly where the he bridge. was. The bridge. <laughs> Sitting on the dock of the bay. <laughs> Watching the business go by. Is well, Tony Khan. <laughs> 
Go ahead, Brian. Well, Tony Khan, in as deliberate a fashion as he could without messing anything up, guys, wanted to announce that AEW Collision, and he announced that it will be in Chicago at the, uh, whatever the pavilion is. The there. United Center. The, that's it? And the reaction in the room was kind of the interesting thing. And AEW audio is always weird, especially, you know, some people will watch it on one cable system versus another, and for whatever reason it sounds different or on a different streaming device. But you could hear a mixed reaction, it seemed like at times. You heard a CM Punk chant break out, but it was hard to really gauge. It wasn't a giant crowd, but it was hard to gauge what this crowd's, if there was a consensus reaction. Well, and and for a variety of reasons, this one is not a, a typical AEW crowd uh, to begin with because they were in Las Vegas, which they're in Las Vegas on Saturday for the pay- the pay-per-view's not sold out in Las Vegas. And again, this, and I'm not trying to, it is funny at this point, and I'm not tr- even trying to kick Tony in the balls or bust his balls, as Dennis Corluzzo would say. But they've sold fucking... WrestleMania three numbers of tickets at Wembley Stadium, and they can't sell out a what is it less than a ten thousand seat building in Las Vegas in the states for a pay per view. But then they've done the TV taping the Wednesday night before that non sold out pay per view in Las Vegas. I think it was a different building, wasn't it? And so that was the least from being full. There were some uncomfortable looking pictures of the crowd size that you couldn't see off camera or whatever, because yeah. And also the reports that I've seen on Twitter today, because now Las Vegas is on Pacific time. So the people, apparently the doors opened at, I guess, three o'clock. They did ring of honor from four o'clock to five o'clock did dynamite from five o'clock to seven o'clock then did more Ring of Honor or something else from 7 o'clock till 9 o'clock or what, whatever the fucking case, they had a, a six-hour event from the time people came in to or passed more than from the time that, that they would be leaving if they stayed for everything. So depending on what was where in the night, people trickled and then dripped and then dribbled out um but it, but i'm sure if you stayed to the end you saw some bangers oh good lord but that anyway that's the thing is that the so that is not a typical crowd because it's las vegas to begin with which is a little bit jaded uh but then also it had to be more of the hardcore AEW fans because it was a smaller crowd and it was still mixed, and then you can't tell because Tony's, as you said, being beamed in from, you know, the Klingon fucking brig. Hey, I have it here if you want to hear some of that. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, they've edited out Thanks Guys, so it begins right after Thanks Guys. <laughs> so I'll do that, and then I'll press play. Thanks, guys. It's great to be here tonight where it all began for AEW, right here at the MGM Grand right here in Las Vegas. And it's very fitting that we're here tonight where it all began to make an announcement about the start of a new beginning for AEW. 
AEW Collision starting June 17th on TNT. Last week we announced some of the cities for our opening tour with events coming up in Toronto, Hamilton, Regina, Calgary, and Newark. But what we haven't announced yet is the location for the very first AEW Collision. The first episode of AEW Collision will take place Saturday, June 17th at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central on TNT from the United Center in Chicago, Illinois. I'm looking forward to a great show, and I'm sure you are too. It's going to be a big night of wrestling, and we have a lot to look forward to this weekend at AEW Double or Nothing. I'll see you this weekend. Back to you guys. And you can hear a little bit of the crowd reaction here. And again, yeah. it sounds a little different with headphones on listening to it than it did on my TV. Sound a lot more positive than it did on my TV. But what do you think of, uh, what well, do you think so of the reaction? It, 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 it was positive because the first reaction, as soon as he says United Center, the people that are waiting to like that instantly pop. Hey, but the people that were like, I don't like that, the United Center, they got to go, ooh, first to themselves, and then they go, boo, or whatever. But you saw clearly that the people, even that small crowd in that building, popped and were up, for the most part, for the, uh, the announcement of the United Center, which in their minds, and it, again, you would say, logically, something would be done, but that we're dealing with people who don't always do things logically and that makes sense. But you would have to be completely clinically insane, and maybe that might not even be a, an exclusive qualifier for some of the people we're dealing with here, but you would have to be clinically insane to book the United Center and not produce CM Punk because of the reaction that you would get not only live, as we've mentioned, the ultimate example of they would set seats on fire, but also online. And because then it would be, well, they've suckered us into thinking punk would be there and they didn't produce him and they don't want to do that. So we, we are pretty assured that punk is back, but they didn't say that that the announcement was of the location, but we still have not heard Punk's name or any public clue of how he will return or in what fashion form or with what motivation. It's like Batman. You go to Gotham, you kind of know who's there. You say Chicago, that's all it takes. You say Chicago, everyone kind of figures it out. Imagine if Tony had done the opposite. We're going to start AEW Collision will be coming up Saturday from Daly's place. They would have booed. They would have booed so oh, loudly. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it, because that's like, you know, we're going to shoot this brand new network show in a closet. Um, It was great for the pandemic, but as we mentioned, I think, earlier in this marathon program, nobody before the pandemic at AEW had ever heard of Daly's place. And it's still not high on a sought-after, you know, television location shoot list so anyway so now it will be interesting to monitor the ticket sales of the following collisions from here that have been abysmal and, and reported as such and have been the subject of much hand-wringing and you know pearl clutching is this AEW's first Canadian tour 
Um, well, is it a tour? I, I don't even know if you call it a tour. I well, is it a it. tour when you go one day and then you come back a week later to another place, the same country? I don't That's know. That's true. That's true. But the the campaign, possibly it. I've I'm pretty sure they've been to Toronto. Uh, I'm pretty sure they haven't been to any of the other places in Canada. So yes, these would I think be first times and. From the advances that we've heard reported so far, they'd be last times unless they pick up, which one would think that they would now. Or maybe these people are going to wait and see, like, what the fuck? Maybe there's going to be another big blow up and we'll buy these tickets and he won't be there. So is this now because of the, again, the atmosphere that they have fostered with this revolving door of deals that are done, not done, whatever? Do the fans trust? Is there going to be another blow up? Are they going to, are they going to go back to the old days where the fans start doing the last two or three days? The walk up will determine the house. Make sure that there's been no reporting in the press that my favorite star got in a fucking fight in the locker room and has been banished to goddamn Never Neverland. It's going to be interesting because you can't say there hasn't been damage done. Between AEW and their fan base since to everybody's to everybody's reputation. Yeah. Because it's it's not like that the 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 Buckaroo Bonsai's, the fan club out there, would have if they'd have had their druthers would have had their boys go through all of this. And many of them even said, Well, you know, you you can't really defend it when they came back on TV and acted like seven year olds and made fun of him. So they've damaged everybody's reputation as well as Tony Tony's reputation as a boss in control of his environment amongst the wrestlers in the business, except those at the very lowest level who are just happy to be anywhere, not washing dishes, has to be at an all-time low, don't you think? I mean, it's been there for a bit, but... We've been talking about mismanagement and management issues going back to the beginning before anyone else wanted to look at any of that stuff. We said one day it's going to slap everyone in the face and look at the last year. With the Saturday show, looking at the state of AEW right now and looking at how that show is formatted and booked and the commentary and everything else, the Saturday show... A, do you need to hype it up a lot in advance of it? And B, how different does it need to be so that it doesn't just feel like another, another couple hours of this taping, which is what Rampage ended up feeling like? Even though it's going to be its yeah. own thing, you have to establish that. And again, AEW is not as hot today, Wembley aside, as it was a year ago or two years ago. So that's why I said... Maybe an earlier this episode. You know, Punk coming back's a big deal and they need him, but he's not a miracle worker. Like there's Yeah, yeah. You know, there's only so much he's gonna be able to do. He can't go out and go two out of three falls ninety minutes for, you know, every week, right? Um But what does this Saturday yeah, show need to be? Well, that's it. and we did a, a a a clip and a discussion on one of the programs here a week or two ago about I said they should make it different, have a different announcing team and a different look on the uh, the production side of things and a different feel and vibe as far as have more serious wrestling, not the trampoline cowboys, you know, those types of things. 
And I'll extrapolate on this because it, it, Tony, he's bought Ring of Honor. And I think that honestly, they've they've made a they've made a younger audience or they've got a younger audience that at least goes to the live events. And Tony's worked himself into a corner or shot himself to foot or whatever. He's bought Ring of Honor, but he can't put it on the the networks because they don't they've got the right to all his wrestling content, but they don't want Ring of Honor. They want another AEW show. Actually, it'd probably be best for that company as a whole if Wednesday night was AEW and Saturday night was Ring of Honor. And you use the more serious wrestlers because what has happened honestly and even i understand that the buckaroos and kenny and all the kids they pal around with have created a some level of audience that didn't used to like wrestling and still don't because their thing that they do is not professional wrestling and those people that like them apparently wouldn't have liked professional wrestling. And the reason why that they did that was because for whatever reason, whether they didn't have one of the qualities necessary to succeed in professional wrestling as it was done. They didn't have the size or the look or the psychology or the working ability or the promo or whatever the fuck it was. But they said, we can do this shit and people will like that. And some do. The problem with that stuff is that for the people who liked wrestling, even WWE wrestling, they just turn their nose up at that shit because it looks so amateur hour. And for people who like professional wrestling, it's run them off because they go, what the fuck is that? So you can't, and nobody has yet done it. Have those two things successfully coexist? The silly video game wrestling crowd and the people who want pro wrestling. So why not give them one of both? <laughs> and put all the guys, put Punk on Saturday night with guys that do have the size to get over or do have the fucking serious FTR, the serious mindset about the business to have good matches. And and when we were talking about who could help Tony creatively instead of Will Wheaton or whoever the fuck he hired off Star Trek. Will Washington um, off Fightful, not Star wherever Trek. Wherever it was. Um, Fightful the next generation. I, I didn't even say anything about Delirious, Hunter Johnston, who booked Ring of Honor when it at least was more serious than they are now uh, for fucking 10 years straight or whatever. And get make Saturday night the serious wrestling action night. We're going to have matches that actually mean something because we're going to tell you who these people are and why they're mad, and it's going to be consistent. If they're mad at somebody this week, they're not going to be fucking kissing and hugging on them next week. You're always going to know who's on whose side and who's mad at each other and what they're fighting for and there's going to be one championship in each major division, single tag and single and tag. And we're going to fucking act like we mean this. 
and we're pr none of our people are going to get fucking hospitalized on live television through unprofessionalism. So if you want to see a fucking car wreck, watch Wednesday. But if you want to week to week understand what's going on with people that are actually trying to be serious and that you might be somewhat intimidated by in some fashion, watch us over here on Saturday and just see what happens. In terms of look, though, and especially with so far the ticket sales for Collision not being, not being good, and even Dynamite's ticket sales, there are weeks where the building is... I mean, it's not. There they're aren't shooting, that many people they're, there. They're shooting deer in the balcony. They do a good job of getting everyone in one area and making the rest of the building dark. They actually do a good job of it, so you can't tell. But you see the pictures, and they're not doing well. So, when you have that as a problem, do you just book more buildings similar size, or should they try to do something different? I'm not saying go to studio wrestling, just like that. But smaller venues, more intimate venues, no expense on a giant pyro set or anything. Let the guys come through the crowd. Just a different look, but still a professional look. Yeah. And some people will say, well, geez, if they're not having a lot of people, the set and the screen and the stage uh, takes up space so you don't have to see that there's empty seats and no people. But the, that's the point is it's... Their presentation is trying so hard to show that they have money to spend and to impress the network and to look somewhat like the WWE has indoctrinated people at the wrestling entrance is supposed to look like that they have to be in a kind of a halfway decent sized building to get all that shit in there. Then they can't fill the rest of it. But remember what looked best of all the recent. WWE presentations was Puerto Rico where they had a building so full they couldn't have a screen, they couldn't have a stage. They had an aisleway like the old days and it looked like a fucking wrestling arena where there were people everywhere and close. And it, honestly, you can replicate that in a building that seats 2,000 people. Remember, well, you weren't there at the first one, but... I don't know if you were there for any of the bluegrass brawls, but... No, I never got to go to the bluegrass brawl. Okay, we had 2,100 people, I think, in a gym that was supposed to kind of seat 1,500 or whatever it was. But the point is, you couldn't fucking breathe and you couldn't see anywhere there wasn't people. And that used to be the appeal of a lot of the wrestling programs they would you would see the the Crockett stuff at, or the Smoky Mountain shows that we did or Continental at various points, whatever, where even if they weren't in Madison Square Garden, the building they were in was full and all you could see was people and they were into it. And AEW does draw a crowd that they are into most of whatever the fuck they're doing, or at least they until lately. Um so make it appropriate for the, if if you can find a building that seats 3,000 people and fill it up and make it look like a wrestling arena, like fight night, like, like there's going to be some serious shit take place here instead of this looking like a Nickelodeon game show. And then that way they would save on expenses. I'm not talking about dumbing the production down. I'm talking about taking that giant stage and giant 
screen and giant entranceway and scaling the size of that down so they come out in the middle of the people and you see their fans that are screaming and holding their signs instead of their... It, 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 God damn, there, there's more space in between the AEW wrestlers on their entrance and the fans than there is the President of the United States at a fucking personal appearance, for fuck's sake. I have an idea, because Tony seems to really like being on TV now. Went from I'm not going to be on TV to... Oh, <laughs> every single week now he is on TV. Want to do something different on that show that makes sense? Have Tony be the interviewer. That way he gets to be on TV like no. he wants to. I just want someone to hold the mic for everyone. No, but I'm glad you said that because also Tony Khan's announcements in the in the spaceship. Clearly, and this is a positive, and I'm going to say something. No, God damn it. <laughs> Clearly, someone has said something to Tony, and Tony took it on board, as they say across the pond, and Tony listened, and Tony made a correction. Either that or even, even better, possibly, Tony has realized on his own, something about himself and how he was coming off to people. But one way or another, we're not seeing the hyperactive, foot-stomping, jumping up and down, trying to be a hype man and looking like fucking Renfield trying to get through the bars to get at a goddamn juicy tarantula. We're not seeing that Tony Khan that we were seeing live when he came out on the stage or in the entranceway or they coaxed him in the ring or even off-camera stuff or whatever. And we're not seeing the obviously live announcement where they put him in front of a camera and he'd just wind himself up to the point where he repeated himself over and over. This is two things here. And I'm sorry, but I've been on on or in television for 40 fucking years. So just take this opinion and consider it. From that announcement and the last one or two that he's made, someone has both said, Tony, we're going to write this out for you and we're going to put it on the teleprompter and you're going to be able to read this. We can turn it at the speed that we believe that you should be going. And also what we want you to do is we want you to slow down your natural pattern of speech so you're not quite as excited and hectic and deliver it at kind of this pace. And that's why he's in front of a green screen. They're putting that background in. In all seriousness, now we've had the fun with the spaceship and everything. Because he's in front of a teleprompter. He's written it, or they've written it for him, but they're controlling the pace that he reads it so that he comes off in a more comfortable and professional fashion. And that's what they're doing. And so you will not, unfortunately, in, until he learns, maybe, you will not be able to see that particular Tony Khan live in front of the crowd doing the thing that he is doing there because it wouldn't be possible. I was just thinking if we're talking about the the kind of look we're talking about. Again, I never actually saw it fully fleshed out. I only saw how it was presented on TV, but Paul Bosch doing the live arena interviews. Yes. 
other than getting quarters uh thrown at you or whatever yeah that uh, that was fucking so much fun go ahead what but that kind say? of energy i mean that's what i'm saying if it's a smaller venue and you know it's almost like if you know that there's 3,500 people who will buy a ticket in that town sell 3,000 pack the venue get a hot crowd yeah. in there and then do the interviews like that and just not make it hokey shit in the back because every promotion does that now and it just it doesn't stand out anymore it sucks but anyway that's my thoughts well and and actually in and in the sam houston coliseum now because it was a 12,000 seat arena and we were doing shows and the regular crowd was 7,000 7,500 8,000 people so, but they're watching those interviews, but they're into them because they had a great PA system. That was all that mattered. So people could hear you, but it was, it was not at ringside. Like some of the old days of taping, they had an elevated uh, stage platform in imagine the, obviously it's a, a oval type arena, a longer, more rectangular, I should say rectangular arena. and. The ring was mostly in the middle, but at the end of one end, they had the set, which had KTVT, Channel 39, and, uh, you know, the blue curtains that you'd see Paul Bosch stand in front of. Was that the, or am I, is KTVT's in Dallas? Well, anyway, Channel 39 in Houston, whatever the fuck. Um... <laughs> And the blue curtains, and you'd be up on this stage, and you had to climb it. So it was about six feet high. You had to climb it with a set of stairs that came up both sides. The baby faces come up one side, heels go up the other side from the dressing room. And the lights that they had to shoot the interviews back there, because it was in the middle of the dark area of the arena, were so bright that when you were doing the interviews, you couldn't see past them. It was blinding you, right? But you could hear the people reacting and you could see on the periphery, but you could hear all the people reacting to what you were saying and the energy of that. And you mentioned the quarter, the younger listeners, but they, they would throw shit at the heels. And one time I'm cutting the promo and somebody threw a quarter and it fucking bounced off the side of my eyebrow and went inside my glasses and started cling, 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 bouncing between my fucking eye and my glasses for a second. And I'm <laughs> like a bug has flown into my eye and I kept on doing the promo. They were all in one take. Shit happened as it happened. If they threw drinks on you, you kept going. And because the platform was raised, but the people at, on the floor seats and ringside were right down below you, they were screaming up at you, right? So that was a really energy-filled Look, and they were looking up at you. You've, there were pictures of superstar Billy Graham on that stage in Houston doing the pose with people's hands reaching up, like giving him the finger. So that that is another way they could transform the look instead of having everybody do them in the ring with their own microphones like they've been given a chance to read for a part in a play have the interviewer be the guy arguing with them like Paul Bosch was. How dare you do that, Cornell? Well, the old man had it coming, Mr. Wrestling 2, disguising his identity, hiding his face out of shame for all the criminal actions he's undertaken. And Paul Bosch could say, that is not true. In fact, as a matter of fact, he's a fine man. Well, I don't agree, Paul Bosch. Some type of goddamn conflict. <sighs> what was it like for you 
And everyone knows what your promos were like, especially when you were young and rambunctious. (laughs) But what was it like for you doing that promo, that kind of promo, in a house like that, in the Sam Houston Coliseum? You said 12,000 seats versus a studio. What is it like with that ambiance of all of that? I mean, the crowds all around you, they're making noise much more than they would in a studio. What's it like doing that kind of promo in a big house? Well, but actually think about it. The the noise level is relative because in the TV studio with the great acoustics meant for doing the six o'clock news, you put a hundred people in there, 40 of them are kids and they're screaming. It's still so loud. You can hardly hear. It's just, it's a much smaller space. Then you've just magnified it, you know, fucking 1200 times or whatever. But for me, the, the, um, that was the first time the Houston shows, because that was during the Mid-South year, that I got a chance to do live interviews in front of the house show crowd. Because remember, in the, well, most people may not remember by now, on a regular house show from any territory in the 70s and really 80s, much less before that, how many wrestlers on the card might talk on the house mic? Two? Oh, maybe. I've maybe? seen shows where there was no one on the house mic. Was uh, no one a lot, but, you know, maybe two, maybe? If, you, you know, if that was a thing that happened that night. They didn't, you didn't do interviews because it was like a fight card. You know, here come the fighters and they ring the bell and they, and they did all of their business the wrestlers did through their physicality and every once in a while when a card had to be changed or somebody was injured or some angle had to be furthered then a guy would take the house microphone and well i'm being screwed around or that's not fair whatever so when i was in even obviously in the tennessee territory in memphis lawler and handsome jimmy and then austin idol that was part of their fucking deal and so they started using the microphone at the house shows a little bit earlier. So I had the concept, right? But I had never, I'm trying to think of a time in the Memphis territory past like spot shows where we'd make some bullshit challenge to kill some time, right? You know, whatever. I don't think I ever got on a microphone in Memphis in, in the Coliseum or even in Louisville. I was on the microphone in Louisville more when I was the ring announcer than I was when I was a manager. But even like Lawler, we think of him, you know, especially like the 90s when he, you know, figured it out. Like, I don't have to take any bumps that I can yeah, go do yeah. these dates. It was him on the microphone. Like him, the Andy Kaufman thing, he gets out there and gets on the mic just to set it up. But when he was a heel in the 70s, how often no. was he on the mic at the arena shows? Almost none. Almost none in the early 70s. It just wasn't done and it wasn't needed. And he would probably cause a fucking riot. And as he became the top guy in the late 70s, early 80s, it, it was he was on the microphone more as a baby face. Uh, again, sometimes to kill time, sometimes to advance an angle or explain something that was going to go on or. Say, hey, if you're going to have that guy out here, I'm bringing, hey, superstar, Bill Dundee, come on, or something like that. These these weren't even long promos. Long promos weren't done at house shows at all by anybody, ex- except maybe every once in a while. And did they do it in the garden when they announced the next month's card or whatever? That's not even a promo. That was just Howard Finkel 
saying names yeah, and getting but, a pop. I mean, did they bring anybody out to say, I'm going to be there or whatever? I don't even think they did that. So that's the thing is, again, the generation that grew up watching the late 80s, early 90s into Attitude Era, more television-centric wrestling when the networks got involved and there was more talk and more of these soliloquies, that they have come to think that's part of wrestling also, but no, that wasn't a thing. So where were we going with it? Oh, so the promos. But in Houston, you got a chance to do a little bit of, of column A and a little bit of column B because the it, they were shooting, even though at that time Houston used the Mid-South television program, the time slot in Houston was 90 minutes. Mid-South was only 60. Paul Bosch customized that program with 30 minutes of footage from the Houston, Sam Houston Coliseum and promos hosted by him, shot in Houston, specifically for the next card in Houston. And that's why it was one of the top drawing towns in the country. And you could get out there and not only talk, do the TV promos, but you would have in the, in the audience the most likely customers that were going to buy a ticket to the matches in two weeks from tonight, the next card, because they're already there. And you're doing the matches with the finishes that are going to lead to <laughs> the next card that we're talking about. So, yeah, so we're pitching those people live. And, of course, I've you no good gum-bumping sacks of snake feces and call them every name in the book and make them as mad as possible. And what we're going to do to your heroes, you, you better show up and see it. It was fucking great. And and the people you could feel the people actually hate your fucking guts in the in the it raised the temperature in the room when you started talking. What's the difference you think in terms of doing it when you have the fans behind you as opposed to, you know, a curtain or whatever it may be, a wall, but you know, let's say a curtain and a little couple steps up. What's the difference between having that behind you and having the fans behind you in terms of the way you do it? Anything affect you? Well, see, here you had both because the way the Coliseum was behind you had the curtains, right? But then the curtains only went so high above this stage. And then if it was a big crowd and, if, and especially if security couldn't fucking keep them away, they would try to go around behind you and try to chuck shit over that fucking curtain from the upper part of the cheap seats because there were still people behind you. They were just a ways back there. So they were all around. I mean, that's another reason why I was always, if you watch me on those promos, I'm always keeping an eye out because there's people on the floor. There's people that can get a good, clear fucking shot at you with a slingshot or whatever from the side of the uh, general admission seats. And then they're just lobbing shit blind from the cheap seats at the far end in the back. So they were all around in various places. How did that compare to doing them in Fort Worth? Um, Fort Worth was... Uh, that was in the ring. Uh, so at least you, you know, you could, you had a clearer shot of shit coming because you didn't have those lights right in your eyes on the stage. And you had a little bit more room that you could see and they weren't right at your feet. But then again, an in-ring promo, you can use the energy from everybody in the building. And even though, you know, I wouldn't ignore the people opposite hard camera side i would turn and acknowledge them at some points but obviously we're doing television we're working for the hard camera 
but that way you had a little bit more control of the room you felt like because you were in the middle of the room in what was the primary location of lighting and you've still got your announcer in there with the microphone but it's more like now you've you're you know you're in command of the the whole room whereas in the interview setup in Houston over there at the end you're in the middle of them all right but the ring is still in the middle of the building you're over here on the end with these fucking lights shining in your eyes but everybody could everybody could see you in the building you just couldn't see them they had those little sets though in Fort Worth didn't they i remember you with a backdrop behind you um you know where that was that was the um the will rogers coliseum is like literally it's on the the fairgrounds and it's a stock of uh, uh, livestock is the word I'm searching for kind of show building. And what that was, was they had a little background that was right uh, to the left, to the right of where you went through that. Remember when Rip Crippler, Rip Oliver slammed Mike Von Erich's hand in the door. Yeah. It was a door to a cattle chute. That was where we went into <laughs> the fucking locker rooms. You go the the cattle chute and turn right was the locker rooms. And right to the side of that was a set that they had that Mark Lorenz would stand in front of. But a lot of times, most of the time, especially after the first little while that we were there, they let us do them live in the ring with Mark Lorenz holding the microphone. And I liked those better because, again, over there, you couldn't command everybody's attention. You're over there next to the door to the fucking cattle chute. But like looking at like the 1980s NWA and everyone loves those TV shows, mostly for the promos, maybe the Midnight Express matches, but there's some real stinkers on there too, but it's the promos. Oh, yeah. And you that at, was a little bitty set over off the side of the announce desk. But you look at you guys, well, you look at Jim Cornette, you look at Ric Flair, you look at Dusty Rhodes, Road Warriors, Arn. It was different not having people behind you and not having to scream and being able to look into the camera and deliver stuff. It was different than it is the way they do it backstage now, whether it's Renee or whoever holding a microphone or in WWE where everyone stands at a weird angle yeah. and dresses people in a weird way and watches TV, like they're back to the TV, all that kind of stuff. Well, I was saying the ones on Crockett's syndicated TV, these were like these high school and college gyms that seated 2,000 people in very close proximity to Charlotte, somewhere within 100 miles north in South Carolina, uh, that's where they would take the TV truck and park it, and we'd roll tape and do two one-hour shows and a fucking dark match and be out of there between 7.30 and 10 o'clock. And those buildings were so packed with people, and a lot of those interviews weren't even on the PA system because... I was going to ask you that before when we were talking Fort Worth, yeah. Yeah, the ones for Crockett, because those little gyms and the, you know, setup we had, they had a an announcer, uh, ring announcer PA, but all those promos weren't always on the PA system because it would just, you would stop by the desk and scream into Bob Caudill and David Crockett's mic or Tony Schiavone and David Crockett or whatever, or we would be on the set and for whatever reason, they couldn't feed it through. And, but it, sometimes it didn't matter because if they were over the PA, the people were screaming so loud, either screaming, we love you for the rock and roll express or Magnum or dusty or screaming, we'll kill you for us or the horsemen that you, you couldn't hear them in those buildings anyway. And it wasn't like we had these goddamn giant 
they had a traveling fucking PA system for the gyms that didn't have one at all. And it's not like it sounded like the who in concert. Right. Right. So, but, and the thing is those buildings were so small that when you were over on the interview set, which was generally placed right next to the entrance to wherever the locker rooms were going to be. Um, most of the people in the building couldn't see you over there. You had a couple of light stands once again in between you and the rest of the crowd. And it was over in the corner of the building next to where the announcers were positioned down from down the aisle from the ring. And the biggest deal was the buildings were so full of people. They had to put the interview set right in front of the locker room door, wherever we were and build out from that, because that was the only way to get the guys out and to the set where they could do their interviews without the fans either loving on us or hating on us to the point where we couldn't get there and it fucked up the taping. So that was, they had to determine <laughs> where to put the fucking interview set based on how could we get them without taking them through any of the people, the whole building's fucking full. But my question before, and I apologize for background noise. It's either the, uh, oh, you got more gardeners that we're never going to hear about, huh? Well, it's either that or the cleaning person upstairs. I'm not sure, oh, and I don't know where the noise is coming from. Have you not let her go home yet? It's been three weeks. She was supposed to start on the other side of the house. I'm not sure if that's what it is, but my question was going to be... You should send out Lewis and Clark for an expedition for the last one that went to the other side of the house. That's been two years. She hadn't come back yet. Again, you can't replicate the TBS studio on Techwood Drive, but there is something to be said about... You know, look at some of the guys there. Look at a CM Punk, for instance, who's a strong promo. And him being able to deliver something into a camera directly, so he's talking to the people at home, but you get that reaction in the room. Yeah. You know, again, I'm not saying you can do a Memphis studio or something like this that's that small, but there has to be a way, because I just, you know, and CM Punk was pretty good about it. From what I remember, his last run, he made them hold a microphone every time he did a promo. Yes. Uh, but no one else does that. Everyone else just grabs the mic and does a speech while they wander around in the ring. I would like to see that change. Yeah, that's something upstairs. What the hell's going on here? That's what I had to say. Well, and I agree with you. And the point is, all of these things could be at least considered for some type of different look to a program that wouldn't offend the primary fans of the genre that you're trying to, you know, compete in. Uh, it, it, and again, you and you, it, I know that for the people that like that kind of thing, it's the kind of thing those people like, and that can be said about everybody and for one thing or another. But you see on the YouTube comments or the Twitter comments of any of numerous of the various wrestling websites and channels, there is a disagreement. A lot of people are offended by the namby-pamby, flippy, lollipop guild version of their soft pussy video game wrestling that used to like old wrestling where people actually tried to make you believe that they were going to fucking beat each other up for real. And those things cannot coexist with each other because the fan base of each thing is offended by the other thing. And from, and I'll, I'll, I'll say this and I'll quit. In summation, I think it's safe to say from the numbers that we have seen in various places, in various companies over the past 20 or 25 years, 
There's a lot more people that liked it when they actually tried to beat each other up than there is now. So we outnumber you. Give us a fucking program that we would like. Let's see what happens. Well, we will see what happens. Perhaps you get that program. Perhaps you tune in and you hear Excalibur's voice and you think, I gotta sue. Boy, and I'll tell you what. There is nothing new about wanting to sue Excalibur, who has a sock on his head, and it sounds and looks like poo, too. But I'll tell you who, if you want to sue, that you could call and say, Who are you, Stephen P. New? Was that, okay, that was it? Oh, okay. that, was, that was where you put the music in. Stephen P. News. If you need to see an outlaw mud show or two, those are the rest. Your clients are ruining me! <laughs> People that should be in a zoo. That's what I was looking for. I was on the ooh train and I was doing good. And then suddenly I stumbled co coming down the hill. But if, if you're, if you're a person who's being ruined by clients of Stephen P. New, don't call him. But if you have been ruined by someone else and or harmed and or wrongfully terminated and or in other words, uh, inconvenienced, then you do need to call Stephen P. New at newlawoffice.com, 888-692-8084 to make sure that your rights and freedoms are, are stood up for and championed in a court of law, advocated for even. Stephen P. New is the foremost advocate, not involving Paul Heyman, by the way. He doesn't have a trademark on that thing. Stephen P. New is the foremost advocate for the wrestling fans and people in and around the wrestling industry, he will stand up for your rights and fight for what is right and just and stand, and, and he won't uh, uh, basically jack you around like Heyman does when he calls it. Paul Heyman is giving an advocate a bad name these days. Let Stephen P. New advocate for you in the right way. That's right, Stephen P. New. What is your vocation that would need to be advocated? My vocation that would need to be advocated? He'll, if whatever vocation you've got, he will advocate for it. Is Jewish so Superman a vocation? Jewish Superman. Well, Muhammad Ali was the black Superman. Remember? Muhammad, Muhammad Ali. He floats like a butterfly and stings like a bee. Muhammad, the black Superman. I can't remember the rest of the line. You snapping your fingers? Yes, I'm snapping my fingers to the beat there because I'm rocking along. To the beat. Ali, catch him if you can. That was a top 40 song. Are you kidding? The Ballad of Muhammad Ali? It was a big deal in Louisville back in the late 60s. I know about it. I just didn't know the lyrics. Yeah. You could be the Jewish Superman, and, and whatever your vocation out there, folks, if, if you need somebody to vocate for your vocation, let Stephen P. New be your advocate.
newlawoffice.com, 888-692-8084. That is right. All right, Jim. Well, let's get one more question and get out of here, and uh, I'm sure we'll catch up with things on the experience. We'll get more questions on next week's show, hopefully. Oh, yeah. We we are going to save our comments on the rest of the lackluster uh, AEW television program for the experience and also start talking about all these big events this Memorial Day weekend. Other people are going to be out grilling and broiling and we're going to be sitting here talking and toiling. All right, Jim. Well, we had some news this week about the AEW Fight Forever video game. It finally received a <laughs> release date. The release date is... is wait, is it rele being released or is it escaping? It will be escaping... On June 29th, 2023, so we are weeks away from the debut of AEW Fight Forever. Do you intend to try this just so you could say you tried it? Well, how do you? I don't even know how this game is played or how any other video game issued since Tetris and Donkey Kong is fucking played or Ms. Pac Man. Right. So I and I don't have the equipment for it, and I don't, I think, have the temperament for it, and I don't have the inclination to do it. So I'm not sure why I would. Well, you have lots of options. It'll be on PC, PlayStation Five, PlayStation Four, Xbox Series, whatever the hell this is, Xbox One, I, and Nintendo I don't recognize Switch. any any of those things as being in my home. All right. Well, the video game is coming out. They put out an announcement with Kenny Omega announcing the game. We're not going to play that audio because there's loud music playing behind it. <laughs> loud noises! And he's whispering, so it doesn't really help. But we have the roster. The names that we know so far are in the game. Would you like to hear this list? Oh, boy. Abaddon. Adam Cole. Wait, 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 wait. But it's she was there what like two years ago on television. Well, this thing's been in development so long. But is she still there? One would think not. Has one seen any of Abaddon? Has Abaddon been abandoned? It's well, been years, right? And but they've had nobody was clamoring shows. for any more of it. No, she's still signed to AEW. Oh, good lord! I don't know when she's been used last, but again, they have all these YouTube shows and everything, so we really have no idea what's going on over there. But Adam Cole. Hangman Adam Page, Britt Baker, DMD, Brody Lee, Brian Dent. Go ahead. I was okay. Um, is this a is this a tribute? I guess, or is this just that it started so long ago? You know, it could be a mix of both, but. It's not outrageous to have, you know, if I play a MLB The Show, you know, sometimes you can play as legends. You can, I have Tom Seaver on my team, for instance. Okay. Brian Danielson. Bunny. <laughs> Chris Jericho. Christian Cage. Chuck Taylor. Oh, good Lord. CM Punk. Cody Rhodes. Well, uh, thankful. Oh, uh, you hit me with two big in a row. Thankfully, they've made this deal apparently just in time for CM Punk. But Cody Rhodes, that's been, he's he's been gone for, what, a year and a half now? It's been a while. Darby Allen, Hikaru Shida, Jade Cargill, John Silver. 
Oh, come on. John Moxley. Jungle Boy. Well, wait a minute. Back up. So I, do they just, is he, obviously he's a friend of whoever, I guess Twinkle Toes was leading the charge on this game. So his friends get to be in the, because why would you, how can, all right, go ahead. Remember the last story we heard about roster was about FTR not being included. And of course they're not on this list because they weren't Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, no FTR, but we've got John Silver and what was the other? Abaddon. Abaddon's in there, but not the World Tag Team Champions, and they've been there for long enough. Keith Lee. Kenny Omega. Of course. Chris Statlander. Uh, uh, Lance Archer. Is she still alive? Is she in prison? I think she hurt her knee and... uh... Twice? Three times? It's been a couple times, I think, that I remember, but I think a lot... Well, I think a lot of people I've heard from think that she's going to be the one that's going to defeat Jade Cargill. Well, I've heard from a number of people that think Christmas is coming again, too, and it probably will, but how long is it going to take? We'll find out. As I said, Chris Statlander, Lance Archer, Matt Jackson, Matt Hardy, Miro, MJF, Nick Jackson, Nyla Rose, Orange Cassidy, Owen Hart, uh, Pac. What happened to Pac? Where's Pac? What? Come to think of it, where the fuck is he? He's been gone for, because who was part of it? Penthouse and Felix were with him, right? As the death triangle? Yes. And then suddenly... They lost one of their corners, and began. They, they, no wonder they're just bouncing back and forth. They're just a straight line now. Fuck! Think about that. They can't go anywhere without the third corner. Well, they also have uh, Alex Abrahantes. He could probably fill in. But also on this list, Jim, wrapping it up, a few more names: Paul White, Penta El Zero Miedo, Ray Phoenix, Ricky Starks. Ruby Soho, Sammy Guevara. What are they? They got Ruby Soho ain't been there that long. They got her in the game, but they couldn't get Cody out. And they, and FTR was just, well, fuck them to begin with. Cause, cause they're only the only wrestling team in the company. But if you had the rights to have Cody in the game, even though he's a top star in the other company, would you remove him? (sighs) I, is the game going to sell based on Cody when Cody has been gone for a year and a half? I think it would have probably been less confusing because now you're again uh, reminding people that you lost this important part of your fucking business and he's doing better without you. Well, finishing up the list here, Sammy Guevara, Sting, Thunder Rosa, <laughs> Trent, and finally... Oh, come on! Trent! And finally... Yuka Sakazaki. Oh, seriously. And uh, wait a minute. Is there no Soraya? Oh, wait. Hold on. I have an update here. 13 wrestlers have been. Uh, some 13 wrestlers have been kidnapped in a white panel van. 13 wrestlers that have been stated won't be on the roster at launch, but may be added as DLC down the line. Anthony Bowens, Blade, Butcher. Cash Wheeler and Dax Harwood confirmed as being downloadable content. 
So that means you add it additionally to whatever the roster that comes with the yeah. game. Evil Uno, Isaiah Cassidy, Jake Hager, Jeff Hardy, Mark... It says Mark Way, what I'm reading here. Mark Quinn, Max Caster, Negative One, Ortiz, and Santana. Ortiz and Santana. Where the fuck Did are they? They? Get, they got deported, I guess? No, they're from New York. Say So they got deported back to New York? They just, people just disappear and then you you forget about them. That's not good for your career. If people don't see you for so long, they forget you used to wrestle and have no idea. But well, good luck with that video game. I'm, I just can't wait to not play it. Have you seen the pictures of it? I saw a, a, a cover they put out with punk on it, and then I saw a cover they put out without punk on it. I don't know what it looks like now. Oh, no, the pictures of the bloody mat. Oh, I saw some of that on Twitter. That's ridiculous. Also, now I know what they... When does a wrestling match ever look like that? When John Moxley's in it. Oh, my God. Blood. <laughs> All right, well, that was that one, and uh, Jim... With that, we've gone a while, and it's been well, a couple of Well, wait a minute. Days. I have actually... Uh-oh. I, I have just real quick. Some news has just come in, some wrestling results. It is May 25th, 2023, correct? Well, I have some wrestling results from May 25th, 1933. Just real quick. Our, our friends over at, uh, at Excitement Air... It's uh, Mike Rogers and Frank Culbertson that uh, keep the Northwest wrestling history alive. But real quick, you want to hear some... air. My dentist has a bunch of that in the tank. Oh, come on now. You, you told me you were going to quit that stuff. Never. Would you like to hear? This was uh, wrestling results in the newspaper printed on May 25th, 1933, off the wire services from New York, St. Louis, Los Angeles. Would you like to oh, yeah. briefly hear these results? Absolutely. In New York, Jumping Joe Savoldi of Michigan threw Paul Bosch of Brooklyn. Jim McMillan of Chicago drew with Gino Garibaldi from Italy. And Ernie Dusick from Omaha drew with Everett Marshall of Colorado. So you've got the original Jumping Joe Savoldi. Uh, Paul Bosch is on the card. Obviously, we just talked about Paul. Jim McMillan was a huge name. Gino Garibaldi was Leo Garibaldi's father and Gino's, the second Gino's grandfather, right? Is that how that went or worked? He's definitely Leo's dad. Yes. The rest of it, I would have to uh, sit down and think Leo about. Leo had a, but nevertheless, and Ernie Dusick of the Dirty Dusicks, the riot squad, Everett Marshall was an NWA champion before, well, before the NWA, it was National Wrestling Association, right about, did he not uh, either drop one or win one from Fez in the 30s, late 30s? I believe so. Sounds right. Okay. So, uh, Hall of Fame names here in St. Louis, listen to this. Jim Londos of St. Louis defeated Joe Stecker of Nebraska. Wow. Joe Stecker in the 19-teens was the world champion and biggest box office attraction. Londos, the biggest box office attraction of all time. 
Also on the card in St. Louis, Dr. Carl Sarpolis wow. from Pennsylvania, who would later on pretty much run wrestling for the next 40 years in West Texas, uh, pinned Darna Ostapovich of Kansas City. So poor Darna never really got over. And finally, at Los Angeles, Hal Rumberg of Washington defeated Joe Hagan of Los Angeles. Oki Shakina, it says Japanese, defeated Pete Shu of Pasadena, California. This was a there was an a this was the original Oki Shakina, not the Oki Shakina that worked in the territories in the 60s and 70s. Uh, Glenn Wade drew with Rudy Sharda and Tiny Roebuck, Oklahoma Indian, through Tony Ramelli. So Los Angeles was a fucking... They were shooting deer in the balcony out there while New York and St. Louis had all the stars. 33, it's, uh, you know, the middle of the Depression. And at the same time, uh, that's where Londos was at his peak of his drawing power, and with guys like Londos, Thez... Uh, Sam Muchnick, all centered around St. Louis. That's why St. Louis was able to weather the storm through the Depression and through World War II and never actually collapse like a lot of the other towns did. Anyway, I'm letting you have your program back. I thought I would tickle you with that and leave you in a good mood. All right, well, we will collapse with that here today, and we'll be back on the experience on Monday and the drive through next week and so much more. Maybe a sneak attack omnibus or two at some point, but Jim, let's get one song, maybe two, and get out of here. This one, well, here's a song about Bixen Span, it says. What? Should we hear this? Oh, we have to. Let's go to this. This is from TGL. <laughs> Virgin Daxpiers Lays down There is my best man So checks it are intended For the poor He drools on Brian's girls Never seen a woman <laughs> Why bother to get a real job when you can leech up the internet wrestling community? He would go out tonight, but he never changes his clothes. And his face is so gruesome, was rejected by the Japanese rubber doll. Who never knew his place Was nowhere near the wrestling business He knows nothing about these things Knows nothing about these things He will go out tonight But he's writing his shitty articles <laughs> Better watch what he writes in them Because he's got to face the new Jumbo Let me ask you something 
has yet to make this man ever been as offensive as this guy's Morrissey singing voice. Here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to call it there just because. All righty. A very interesting style, but thank you, TGL, for sending that in. Let me go to another song submission here. Wow, we have a new one from Rocky the Ramon. We will end with this. It's been a while oh, since boom, we got one yeah. from Rocky. Let's go to this. Rocky the Ramon. Okay, well, let's get some Moxley quotes. Uh, I'm not going to do the voice. Oh, you got it. You got it. A lot of people out there hate on the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega, but we're not old-ass fucking bitter dudes with podcasts talking about how the business used to be. A lot of people hate Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks, and that's because they hate themselves. Wednesday night, getting up tight, nothing to do. There's this wrestling show on called AEW. I guess I'll watch this now that the Big Bang is through. <laughs> Who the fuck are the Young Bucks for bringing me down? Then there's this weird-ass guy who is prancing around. A guy with a screwdriver and he's dressed like a clown. This is what they call pro wrestling. There are plenty of people who hate me. I don't give a fuck. I don't care what challenge you put in front of me or what shit befalls me. The message is fuck you. Figures everywhere. It's us against the world. One time is all it took of watching you. Been having nightmares about the stupid shit that you do. Getting angry over the time that I wasted on you. Just can't seem to get it right I can't believe the crap I saw this Wednesday night You're shoving this stuff down our throats just for a spot Is this what they call pro wrestling these days? You took the heart and the soul of wrestling away I hate myself for watching you TV just to get away from you. That's why I hate myself for watching you. I hate myself for watching you. Can't stand to see the stupid things that you do. Turn off the TV just to get away from you. That's why I hate myself for watching you. I hate myself. Even if you think I fucking suck. You still have all these greats. For watching you, I hate myself. You're very defensive. I was talking about Jim Ross. <laughs> For watching you, I hate myself. I'm very pissed off. <laughs> For watching you, I hate myself. I will shove it up everyone's flying ass. I hate myself. <laughs> It's us against the universe. 
attitude is AEW at its core. Well, there it is. The return of Rocky the Ramon. His voice sounded really good. I thought Rocky sounded great there. Excellent, excellent stuff. What a way to end the day. What a way to end the day. Thank you, Rocky. And, of course, thank you to everyone who has sent the song, whether it's Reggie's Corner or a song or anything else you want to send into the show, cornydrivethrough at gmail.com is the best way to get it to us. Eventually, we'll see something. But with that, the drive-thru is closed. Oh, Jesus. I got to practice later. Yeah, if I were you, I'd work on that. Of course. We'll be back. Uh, what show is this? We'll be back I next week on the drive-thru, and we'll be back Monday on the Jim Cornette Experience, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And early stuff on YouTube, possibly, about all these big events. That's right. With two big pay-per-view events or premium live events, whatever the hell they are this weekend, there will be a lot of stuff going up on YouTube before the podcasts go up. So stay informed. Subscribe today. The official Jim Cornette YouTube channel, the Travis Eckle artwork, and everything else. Subscribe and stay tuned. Go through the archive. Patreon.com slash Cornette. $5 a month gets you access to the very beginning in 2013. Go through the archive, patreon.com slash Cornette. You can follow Jim on Twitter at the Jim Cornette. You can follow me on Twitter at Great Brian Last. You can hear me on the 605 Super Podcast at 605pod.com or available wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And of course, the wrestling news every day directly from the wrestlingnews.com or look for Arcadian Vanguards, the wrestling news, wherever you find your favorite podcast for free daily wrestling newscast. The Wrestling News. Cornets Collectibles at JimCornet.com. What's going on, Jim? We're all caught up. Start buying shit. At JimCornet.com. The drive-thru is brought to you by the law office of Stephen P. New, 888-692-8084. Get even with Stephen, but don't wake him up in the morning screaming and crying at NewLawOffice.com. But until Monday on The Experience, and next week back here on the drive-thru and up early on YouTube. For Jim Cornette, I'm the great Brian Last. Tally-ho! Well, it's Jim Cornette's drive-thru. Yes, it's Jim Cornette's drive-thru. Please shut up and listen while Corny is shooting. Yes, while Corny is shooting on Big Fuck and Putin and those outlaw macho fucks. Joey Ryan, the young bucks, the rednecks and dumb fucks and them door corner bum fucks. And then there's Jelly Janella and Santino Marella, the boogeyman, the boogeyman, the boogeyman. Corny's drive through. Corny's drive through. Corny's drive through. Well, it's all elite wrestling. Tony Khan is investing his billions of dollars in some dumb cosplay wrestlers. Yeah, they think they are wrestlers in video games just like Kenny Omega. We pledge allegiance to the leader of the mighty cult of Cornets. And to the pro wrestling for which he stands. No blow up dolls, kick spots, or dance routines with blood, sellouts, and shoot angles for all.
And have you heard about Riho? She weighs 45 kilos and she's their champion. She's a Japanese schoolgirl. All the Japanese schoolgirls like Kenny Omega love to play with his Sega. Yeah, they play with his Sega. You need to sue the guy for you. Steven, Pedro, everybody. Tony's drive-thru. Tony's drive-thru. Tony's drive-thru. Tony's drive-thru. And now, here are your hosts, Jim Cornette and the great Brian Lass.